Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. I should have stayed home and played with myself. What do you like to do? Oh, I don't know. Play chess? Screw? Well, let's play chess. The Indianapolis Colts select Anthony Richardson. Quarterback, Florida. Richardson going to take off and run. He's in there. Touchdown. I-N-D-Y. The first career touchdown. Here's Halliburton into the front court. Mishandled it, but gets a shot. Hits it. Hits it. John, I have never been better to be on the air with you here in Indianapolis, a place where so many of my dreams have come true. The Ride with JMV on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. I got a lot to talk about today. Thank you all for joining us. Got tickets to give away. I'll tell you what we're giving away, James. I'm assuming you've seen this as well, right? I know people are going to like it a great deal. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. The guest list, we got a first-timer on the show. A first-timer on the show in the 4 o'clock hour and uh, what the week entails, too, including being on the road on Thursday, Southside, NBA Jam, and Michelob Ultra, another opportunity. That and more in what was an incredibly busy weekend. I'm going to go ahead and start with the Pacers. I know a lot of people want to go ahead and jump on the bandwagon of fire Mike Woodson, and Mike Woodson has to go. And I think everybody well, – well, I will say this. I will say that is a game on Saturday that if you're Mike Woodson and that staff, you just can't have it. You can't have that. And you could say, well, they did. What are you going to do? Well, it takes you down a path. Even if you have next year, even if you have the end of this year and next year, which clearly he's going to have, you have set the bar now with the fan base to where you're going to have to do some incredible things between now and that time to get back in the good graces. I realize that the fans don't have a call in this. I do. You know, the board of trustees, the athletic director, all of that weighs into it. But now if you put out a product where people get sick and tired of, of going get sick and tired of hearing everybody all over your coach or if you just get sick and tired of taking a beating at the hands of a Penn State team without their their leading score arguably their best player then you've got yourself a problem and I think right now with Mike Woodson the issue is I don't think that he and they can do enough for him to ever get back get back to that coming up in a minute too my Sycamores the Boilermakers yesterday just impressive on the road against Wisconsin. But Butler on Friday night on the road against Creighton. Talk about gutting one out. It kind of looks like, if you watch, it looks like that those that they have brought together, Thad Mata has brought together with that group, at least on that night, maybe even you can argue the past two against the better teams. Villanova, not as good as normal. 
But Creighton, that Creighton is certainly legit. They have to go on the road to UConn, but you get guys that look like that they were coming together. They shot the lights out in the second half and still needed absolutely everything because late they couldn't inbound the ball. But that was a gritty performance. It was an enjoyable watch, especially coming off of that Pacer game against Sacramento where I just about had to turn that off. Yeah, so you, you go ahead and stagger the minutes so Halliburton can play, yet you can't play him in that because it's an absolute mess. Now, the good thing for the Pacers is they got a win last night in Charlotte. Uh, the Hornets are an absolute disaster. If you watch that game, besides P.J. Washington and Brandon Miller, it's Miles Bridges, whom uh, two of those three – not the rookie Miller, but two of those three are going to end up being traded as they reset absolutely everything. The Pacers carve out themselves a win that was incredibly necessary. But now we have a lot of questions, right, forming. People are asking me about Buddy Heald once again. NBA trade deadlines coming up on Thursday. And I got everybody's thought that there's no way in the world Buddy's going to be on this team. Do you see the way that Buddy treated the coach? He was mad and he was yelling to people. Let me tell you what happened in the fourth when Buddy Heald got yanked. First of all, if you've ever slumped in anything, and this is not making excuses for him. You know, I'm not trying to let him... Lay down in this case on a bed of rose petals and make sure that nobody comes at him with any criticism. He hadn't been good. When you are in a slump and whatever you do, you're just ready to lash out. And I don't care how professional you are. And there are moments in which you just kind of go over the top. And you saw that moment yesterday. And the Pacers, at the start of the fourth quarter, were just turning the ball over and turning the ball over. And you could tell that Rick wanted to give the starters more rest, but he was kind of forced into putting them back because those that were in there to start the fourth just could not keep control of the ball. And one of those particular plays it was Obi Toppin. Obi Toppin with the board, goes the other direction, throws an outlet pass on the left wing extended toward the sideline that was one of the world's worst passes. It was just a bad pass. So, Buddy Hill didn't catch it. It goes out of bounds. And if you saw Buddy's reaction, he was not fond of that pass. Now, we haven't seen a lot of this, really, if any of it, from teammate to teammate. But at that moment, Buddy healed to Obi Toppin, that's what you saw. But you also have to keep in mind a couple of things. And one of which you like about this team. Now, the first is obvious. You're just incredibly pissy because you can't throw it in the ocean if you fell out of a boat. I may have mixed that particular metaphor right there, but I think it still sounded okay. So you can't do anything with the basketball. And again, the one thing that you're supposed to be able to do is shoot it. And he has not been able to shoot it. And he's missing... A lot of dead-ass, wide-open shots. It's not like it's under a heavy contest or anything. Like, wide-open, where you're thinking, like, normal Buddy healed. You know, everybody's running the other direction. You can tell by the players sometimes, too. You can tell by the players when somebody gets that wide open and shoots into somebody they trust, these guys will get a bit of a head start sometimes on going to the other end, the defensive end. So... 
couple of different times yesterday, he's wide open look from the wing, and his buddy healed, and he's going to knock it down. And these guys take a step or two the other direction, and it it's short. His stuff, for the most part, is all short right now. So I don't know if I don't know if he's he's tired, a little bit worn down, needs a break. But a lot of his stuff is short. And when you're in a slump in whatever you do, and in this case, as a basketball player, in that shooting slump, you, you, you're not happy. All right? This is your trade. This is what you're supposed to be able to do. You're not going to be able to go out there. They don't expect you to check somebody full-on defensive mode. You know, they don't expect a lot of rebounds. They don't expect you to be a driving dish type of guy. You're there. So if uh, they make an extra pass or, you know, maybe you get a cross-court pass of some kind, a skip pass of some time, you're going to be wide open coming off of screens. You're going to shoot that three. Or even what we know Buddy Heald to be, being able to shoot it under duress. So the Obi Toppin pass was not anywhere in the zip code. Goes out of bounds. And if you watched a little bit more, I actually went back and and watched the reaction. You could tell Buddy knew that because the way that he was playing and really the way that group was playing, that his time was going to be limited. So at that moment, he knew he was coming out and he was pissed about the pass or lack there of a good pass from Obi and started chirping on the bench. And you could see Miles got up and I couldn't tell exactly what he said, but it looked like he said, you need to run down to the other end. You need to keep playing. Or this is not what we do. This is not what we're about. And then you could also tell after that play, when they started subbing that unit out, you could tell that that Obi was explaining himself as it being a bad pass. So a lot of people were asking me, man, he's on Carlisle. For one, he doesn't want to come out. Another, he knows that he's not in a good spot right now. He knows that what he is uniquely used to doing you know, really at a very high level, is not happening right now. So he was frustrated, and that frustration boiled over. But the good part I was talking about is that this group, and I've asked this before. I think it was Aaron Neesmith. I may have asked Miles this once. Hell, I can't remember. Maybe even T.J. McConnell. But these guys really do a great job of self-policing. And, and that's how you can tell – I mean, everybody kind of looks at how they're, you know, you giggle on the sidelines and you look like you're around one another. But, man, it really is those incredibly crappy moments that you're going through to where frustrations can boil over with one or two. And then it's, hey, everybody chill out. All right, you'll make the next one. Go down there and make sure at the very least, even if you can't guard this guy, you kind of act like you can stand in front of him. Now, you may not guard your yard, but like one step left and one step right, you'll have that covered. And in all likelihood, you're going to get subbed out. Because really, you didn't want to mess around with that game. I mean, it was clunky enough the way that it was. I mean, really, what you wanted to do, you wanted to get a win. You didn't want them to be any circumstances, and you wanted to get the hell out of Dodge and get ready for tomorrow night's matchup with Houston here. That's what you wanted to do. And then ultimately, that is how they succeeded. But you like a team that will direct itself. Now, listen, the coaches, whether it's Carlisle or Pierce, will have something to say about it. 
I just thought when everybody else was saying this is a bad thing, I can't believe this. You got to trade Buddy Heald. You don't trade Buddy Heald unless it makes sense to you. Unless you say, you know what, this guy is not going to be the same type of threat that he's ever been again, and we don't want him again. You can't jack with your offense. You just can't. You're not good enough defensively to do it. And while I like Jarris Walker and I understand that you want to get him in the game, you want to get him in the game when you can, but you don't want to sacrifice the moments when you need somebody else. Your expectation is now that you get, what are they averaging? Look up, James, what they average. About 124, somewhere in that neighborhood, 123. They really haven't been hitting their average recently, and we've given that a pass. We've given that a pass because dudes have been injured. There's been no Halliburton. You just made a big deal. Everybody's getting used to this and everybody's getting used to that. But what you cannot get used to is not scoring to the level in which we believe or you believe you should or where you have. It may work against a team like Charlotte that stinks. But you get in there against a good team that's going to match you shot for shot and then feel good. You're not going to get late stops. They're going to get a late stop. That is problematic. So I'd be careful, and I would trust Chad Buchanan last week on this show, the Pacer general manager. It sounded to me, as I'm assuming it sounded to you, when I asked him these very questions about Buddy, about another deal, he said, we made this big deal already. And to me, he talked like that he was done. Now, again, you fast forward now a week, maybe things are different. But I certainly don't think it's because of the attitude. I don't think it's because of the feel of the team. What's the average right now, James? Uh, It says it's 124.2. 124.2. They have not been in that ballpark for a while. Once upon a time, a month or so ago, they were going over 125. You want them to get better defensively, but you do not want to jack around with the offense. Don't do it. And believe me, before you say there's no reason to keep, I understand he's going to struggle if he's not knocking down the three. Consequently, however, you're going to struggle if he isn't knocking down the three. So if you don't have a a better thought, if you don't have a better action, another example in mind that's going to keep up this pace that you're going to give up right now with him, I know he doesn't look great. I just think in the court of public opinion, you're always way too quick to want to trade somebody. You have not seen, you have not seen what this team is capable of doing enough. That was something else that Chad Buchanan talked about last week. You know, we just haven't seen enough of these guys playing together because of a variety of reasons. So I'd be quick to judge that this past week, for example, is the reason why Buddy Hill's going to be traded. I'd be quick to judge, too quick to judge in this case, if you're suggesting, well, you saw how he acted on the sideline. See, I got the same stuff with Miles. Remember that championship game on that Saturday night in Vegas? I had like a thousand jackasses say, well, Miles just left the floor because he's mad. We're going to trade him right now. And you don't know anything. Maybe you just don't want to throw a fit. I'm telling you what, if I throw a fit, I'm not like going to go out 
in the spotlight in front of everybody and throw a fit. I'm going to throw a fit where nobody sees me throwing a fit. That's the best place to throw a fit. But again, when Buddy healed, and you could tell that he was emotional in that moment, the best part about that is that the players were handling it. As I mentioned, Miles got up, said, hey, I'm going to get down to the other end here. Drop it. It's over. So I'd be... I'd be telling you to be advised not to be too quick to judge it. And especially considering what Chad Buchanan said last week, I have no intel on it whatsoever. I would also be very careful in trying to juggle what you have right now offensively. You just simply can't afford to continue to fall with your average every game. I know that that really that's not what there are so many different levels of analytics. I'm still – I mentioned this to Frank Vogel a couple of weeks ago, the head coach of the Suns. He was looking at these analytics that are today, now, and I'm looking at analytics that they probably looked at in 1995. But we all know this. We all know that getting up and down the floor, scoring, utilizing that. I mean, what they have done against Milwaukee winning 4-5 or five this year, that to me – should be a blueprint of how this team has to win with this group, and that is you wear other people out. And they just haven't had the opportunity to do it because some guy's out, this guy's out. Halliburton can only play 22, and he's on, you know, the unicycle. Not on a unicycle. That would be pretty funny if he would be. He's on the stationary bike, working out, whatever. But you can't compromise your offense. And it really makes me feel good to say that. Because normally, like any place you want to go with this team, you can directly go to the defense, and you're not going to be wrong. But I have said this all along. Don't forget about what has really brought you here, what gets you excited about this team, because it sure as hell isn't the defense. It is the offense. It is their capability of running another team ragged to where they're just simply not good late. Giannis wasn't good for the most part late in a lot of those games. What, they won one of five? I shouldn't say a lot. That's really overstating it. But you could tell in moments when he was gassed because he told you after those games when he was gassed. You could tell when Lillard didn't have his legs, but he he was gassed. You sure as hell can tell when Middleton's gassed. I just don't think you can afford, and I know that you go through a long season And you get worn down, and I know that your offensive average is just going to fall, but you cannot lose sight of the importance of it. I know when you get in the postseason, you know, the defense is going to take over. But again, remember, late defensive stops when it matters, that's what I want to focus in on. This team is not going to take you away from what you want to do for three and a half quarters defensively. It isn't. But it can wear you out enough. And then if they have a stop or two late, can be a difference in the game. This is by far not a finished product. I just don't feel any differently sitting here today than I did this time last week after Chad Buchanan was on the show. Now, even with this lengthy slump that Buddy Heald is in right now. Hey, by the way, last week, I know Miles missed the game on Friday. Was it an ankle or a back? Ankle? His back had been an issue, I thought it said ankle, 
And I had sent actually something to to Jeremiah Johnson last night. He he still doesn't look right. He doesn't look right to me. And believe me, if anybody were to know outside of him that he doesn't look right, I'd be right there. Because I like I gotta watch for some of these clowns that are with me on this show. And thank you, God love you for being a part of this show. But with the clowns, they also have to embrace. I've got to watch every breath he takes out there. <laughs> Seriously. And I'm not trying to be sting here. I got to watch every move he makes, every step he takes. I'll be watching him. Guys, force me into that. Yeah, I don't know what is going to be going on in this all-star break for him, but I think my man needs a rest right there a little bit. Pacers and the Rockets coming up tomorrow night. That's going to be far from easy right there. We shall discuss coming up in a minute. We will start with the winners. Uh, Boilermakers, absolutely fantastic. I Listen, I know what this means against Wisconsin, and I know what this means against Wisconsin's backcourt. I don't know if you automatically say, well, this is absolutely different, and they're going to have no problems. Purdue is going to have... Purdue fans, especially, and you got to prove this team is going to have to prove once they get into the NCAA tournament situation that it is different. This is just to me them doing what we expected them to do. Now, has Lance Jones been fantastic and factoring in a great deal to their success? And does it look different in the backcourt between he and Braden Smith? I thought Fletcher Lawyer played well yesterday. Absolutely. But as we've talked about, you just don't know until you see that matchup, until you see who they play. They are doing right now exactly what you would expect them to do. And that was certainly impressive yesterday. you got to figure, too, if you're Wisconsin, you had a 19-point lead that you gagged away in the second half and lost a couple of nights earlier in Lincoln, Nebraska, to the Cornhuskers. And if there ever was an opportunity to have a do-over, a make good, that was it. And while they hung around, which is exactly what you would expect them to do, Purdue never really let them significantly tie ball game or even believe that they could take the lead and do anything with it. And really, impression all the way around. There's no doubt I mentioned this to Jake a little bit earlier. Where would some of these teams in the Big Ten be without the Missouri Valley Conference right now? You're talking about Lance Jones at Purdue. Marcus Damask at Illinois. Rink Mast, who played at Bradley in the Mo Valley at Nebraska. Where would these teams be without the Missouri Valley? And I know... I know that my Indiana State friends out there, I'll scare, I'm going to scare you by saying this. I mean, you watch, especially in this era of college basketball, you just got to go for it. If you're Indiana State, you got to go for it. You know, if you're Bradley, if you're Drake, right now in the mobile, you got to go for it because you don't know how your cupboard will end up being rated. You think about this significant spotlight that my fighting trees have on them right now. Everybody is seeing it. And we got the wild way. I know that there are rules. Come on. Rules. (laughs) I mean, really, nobody abided by the rules when there actually were rules. 
I mean, now all you got to do is you see you see a big with a soft touch and a pass and, man, getting all this notoriety. So, again, if you're Indiana State, got to make it happen and make it happen right now. Sycamores win a big one over Drake on Saturday night. I believe they are 28th in the country. Not enough votage. I think they got 53 to get in today. Not enough votes to make it in to the top 25. I don't vote. I'd have voted like 19 times. <laughs> i vote like 19 times right here. Get them in. They do go through moments where they can't hit anything either. But some of their bigger moments, larger moments come at the end of games. And that may have been the in-game situations. Tucker DeVries, that is the star player for Drake, is good. He is a combination of good in so many areas offensively. And Indiana State stepped up defensively. Conwell had a big play. Kent had a big play. Every reason for Sycamore fans to maintain a level of excitement, and that is a good thing. I'd like to spend a lot of time on IU, but I don't know what else to say. I think you sit here right now with Mike Woodson, and you know that he's not going to get fired. You know he's not going to go anyplace, but I just don't see how he's ever going to get it back. That trust from the fans, and you can say, well, they don't matter, but in a lot of sports, and especially this one, they do. There's some mattering going on there. That game on Saturday was an absolute killer. That was one of those where you go, all right, I'm going to consider to get rid of everybody. Well, it's just IU. You've seen IU recently. You just, you cannot look and then lose as they did at home. I know they did. Can't do it. To a Penn State team without its leading score. Sometimes in that second half, Mike Woodson mentioned they came out flat, and I've always said this. At times in that second half, it looked like that the fans were pushing and more excited about getting this team back in the game than that team was about getting themselves back in the game. That That is so problematic. And we can sit around and talk about no guards here, no shooting there, all the issues here and there, whatever. But this team, for the most part, has been disappointing in terms of trying to help itself. We're not talking about playing Kansas every single game or playing Purdue every single game or the best. That was Penn State. That was at home. Yeah, I'm sorry. That should be a gimme. I know nothing is a gimme with this group. You just can't look like that. The gimme looked like it was Penn State on the road. That just can't happen. Can't happen. Not go anywhere. No doubt about that. Staying right there. He's going to coach again next year. But as far as getting back in the good graces of most whom aren't making the decisions, they may end up making the decisions as far as their level of interest. This, There are so many aspects of this that remind you of just the ill-fated Archie Miller era. That game Saturday would be one of those. Can't happen, and it did. Quick break, and we shall return. I got a lot more to talk about coming up, too. Bobby Buckets, Bobby Rydell, the Boilermaker Radio Network, is going to join us coming up at the top of the hour. Stephen Holder, coming back from the Pro Bowl, I believe, is going to join us in the 5 o'clock hour. We've got Mike DeCourcy. Mike DeCourcy, the Big Ten Network, coming up on the other side. Luke Bryan tickets, correct? Luke Bryan. 
I've got Luke Bryan tickets for you country music fans out there as well. Great moment on the Grammys last night. Tracy Chapman and Luke Combs. That was pretty awesome. And, of course, if you follow social media, you couldn't, you can't have a moment like that without people you know, being pissy about it or wanting to argue about it. Like, I don't know too much about Luke Combs, but I do know this. I do know what is entertaining in music, and that was incredibly entertaining and moving in music. Why was he out there with her? Why was he necessary? Well, he redid the song. The reason why it came back out popular again. Why do you have to? I understand if things are going wrong, we have to gripe about it. But why do you have to gripe about stuff that you shouldn't have to gripe about? Somebody tell me that. Let's fix it. Quick break. We'll come back. The stream, the app inside the AAA Membership Lounge via YouTube Live. Mike DeCourcy is going to talk some college hoop and the Mike DeCourcy NCAA tournament forecast coming up as well. 93.5107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. You take drugs, Danny? Every day. Good. So what's the problem? I don't know. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hey, welcome back to the show. Bobby Buckets coming up here in the 4 o'clock hour. Stephen Holder of ESPN is going to be here. Thursday show, me, NBA Jam, and Michelob Ultra is at Whiskey Business, Southport Road on the south side. Again, you get the shoes, the custom-made courtside Nike Air Michelob Ultra shoes. They're one of one. They're originals. And then you uh, advance with that high score to the finals coming up here, too. Again, Whiskey Business, Southport Road, Southside. That is coming up on Thursday with the show. Meantime, on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline from Big Ten Network. You watched him last night, which was a fun-as-hell game to watch in Champaign between Nebraska and Illinois. Got a great breakdown before, during, and after. Mike DeCourcy was part of the crew. He joins us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Hello, Mike. How are you? JMV, how are you? What would the Big Ten be without the Missouri Valley Conference? <laughs> well, I don't not I, I don't understand the correlation there. What? Oh, Lance Jones, uh, Rank oh, Mast, Marcus Damask. So yeah, I'm all, yes. hey, oh, okay, keep in mind here, Mike. I'm always trying to squeeze the Missouri Valley Conference and my Indiana State team into any conversation I can. So, what would the Big Ten be like without the influence of the Valley? Well, I'm telling you, those two guys, it's, and the weird thing about that is you've got one of the best players on Illinois and one of the best players on Purdue, two guys who, if they remain healthy through the regular season, will definitely be all league, whether it's first or second team or whatever, still remains to be seen, but they'll be all league without yeah. a doubt. And their team wasn't great last year. Right. They, at Southern Illinois, they were not, I mean, not even sure they were particularly good. Uh, it's its hard to fathom because those two players are terrific. Yeah. And, and, I mean, really, I talk about these three, and you're, you're looking at, you know, three of the better teams we have seen, certainly over the course of this Big Ten campaign, and without any of these three. I, mean, I think Mass came from Bradley. I remember watching him, I think, last year. But without any right. of these three, I mean, really, Fred Hoiberg's team, you know, Brad Underwood, certainly Matt Painter's team looked drastically different without their influences. Absolutely. And I, I think that um... – Without Lance, I mean, Purdue's still making the tournament. Right. And, uh, and they'd, they'd probably still be a one seed. But you look at what Lance is capable of doing, and they're not – they wouldn't be the one overall. They wouldn't be a team that you'd say, yeah, this time it could be different. 
uh, it, it'll be it would probably would be different anyway. I'm mean, not going to go lose to a 16 again, but it but this time it could be different, different. And he's a huge part of the reason for that because he gives them a level of dynamism that uh, that, that last year's team did not have. He gives them experience in the backcourt that last year's team did not have. Uh, he, and I, I, when I when you look at their at their three-point shooting, they're one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country statistically. But then you look, okay, who do you trust in March to make those big shots? And I, I worried about Lance through November and December because the numbers weren't great. I think he was shooting down in the 32-33 range from three-point. From three point. And I, I was talking to Rafael Davis, uh, my terrific co-partner, along with John Beeline on Big Ten Basketball and Beyond, and I said to him, I said, like, who do you trust? And he said, Lance. And I said, but look at his numbers. And he said, yeah, but look lately. So I did. And it, since January 1, when Big Ten play resumed, he's shooting nearly 40% from three-point range. So the tougher the competition in large part. I mean, obviously, they played a great non-conference too. But now it's every night you're playing somebody that's tough, and he is shooting at the highest level you could possibly ask him to do. He is Mike DeCourcy of the Big Ten Network on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. And I would add, too, I, I don't know how much of a relationship you can make between now and last year and that, that first game exit in the tournament in Columbus, but he's a dude that is shooting better. As you accurately state, he is unafraid of the situation, whereas against Fairleigh Dickinson last year, you get into the final 10 or so minutes, 8 or so minutes of that game, you had guys running from the basketball. He does not look to me like a dude that's ever in his life going to run from the basketball. No, I don't think he will. Uh, I I don't think they'll encounter that situation in particular again. It's just this team is – this team is better. You see progression from Fletcher Lawyer, uh, absolutely uh, around the, the uh, entire roster. Braden Smith is spectacular. And a year ago, this was when Fletcher and Braden really started to, to wear down. And, and Braden, who had been so brilliant in the first three months of the season, was still fine, but he wasn't this. And, and Fletcher, until that last game, I thought one of the missed opportunities in the uh, in the game against FDU was that he looked like he started to have a little bit of spark back in that game. He made some shots and he wasn't getting the ball. The uh, shots were going up from other directions that weren't on that night as effective as he was. But for the most part in in February and early March, he was struggling, uh, just didn't look fresh. And I don't think you're going to see that. Now those guys have had a full off season of, of weight con- and conditioning at the college level, it makes a huge difference. And then you add in a guy like Lance, and it, it really does look like a team. Like I'm not predicting a national championship for them, uh, but I think they can be in it. And I, I, the one thing I will predict is that they're not losing to a double-digit seed in the first round this time. I, I feel very confident about that. So Mike DeCourcy, who was with us, give me a, a difference or two between National Player of the Year, Zach Eady, a year ago, and what is, I think, going to be, again, back-to-back the first time since Ralph Sampson in the 80s, National Player of the Year, Zach Eady, this year. Give me a difference or two that you have in mind. Yeah, I think uh, he is much more active and mobile. They, it's harder to strand him defensively than it was a year ago teams would try to get him out of the post 
because they could they could go by him, and it's harder now. He moves really well in space. That's one of the reasons why the NBA is starting to talk about him as a first-round pick. Uh, Jonathan Gavoni, who I've known for 20 years and who does a really great job scouring the planet for basketball talent for ESPN, projected him in in his mock lottery earlier this earlier last month, I should say. Uh, now that we're into February, and and I I did not see that coming, but he's talking to agents and NBA people all the time, and so that's coming from somebody reputable. That he's not going to put himself out there and his reputation as a draft analyst, uh, but on just his opinion that it could work. I mean, he's talking to people, and they're telling him that he he's a different player now. So Mike DeCourcy's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline with us. I, all right, I want to shift gears. I started with the winning and now to the losing. <laughs> um, this Hoosier team, I know that we didn't have you know big dreams. There were big hopes. There always will be from that fan base, but no big you know visions of greatness because of what they lost. You know, in terms of losing, especially with Jackson Davis and Hood Shafino of a year ago. But this is what you get. It, that that game on Saturday is just one in their situation that you can't have looking like they did in particular in that second half moving forward i know mike woods is not going any place but it's going to take a lot for him to get back in those so-called good graces with the fan base really anytime further down the road well i mean i will say that and i'm not saying that this happens but uh if they start out next year 10 and 0 people will forget about what happened this year it's a rebuilding year everybody will forget about it uh, but it was what, what happened on Saturday was shocking. Uh, if they had gone on the road to Penn State, uh, not a lot of people in the stands because Penn State's you know, they're not at, at the top of the league, and uh, they sometimes struggle to, to fill their Bryce Jordan Center. So you go on the road to a place like that, and you, there's not a lot uh, in it for you because you're probably not going to, to the, the madness. And, and so maybe you'd put out an effort like that, but at home – an assembly hall against a team that is near the bottom of your conference, that I, I, I never saw that coming. When they started out with, with an early lead, I thought they're going to they're gonna blow Penn State off this floor. That, I really felt that was going to happen. And it just completely flipped. And Penn State played with verve uh, and passion and the desire that you want to see, and it wasn't met with the corresponding effort from Indiana, and I did not see that coming at all. I, I, I think this team needs uh, – it needs a lot. It, does, it, it Even more than it needs talent, it needs some leadership. It needs – frankly, they need a Lance Jones. Uh, they, they, the, the, uh, Liam McNeely, who's coming in next year, will fill a lot of needs for them because they need to have you know, more, more uh, dynamism and a more scoring ability on the perimeter than they have now. But the other element of this, and this is something that I've talked about relative to Mike Woodson's approach for multiple years now, and they can't just keep pretending like Steph Curry never happened. I mean, everybody else is playing that game. And when you have maybe an elite post scorer like Trace Jackson Davis, you can say, okay, we're still playing the old style, the, the Shaq style. You can do that if you have Trace. But there's only like one or two Traces every eight or nine years now. It's like there's just aren't very many guys that know how to do that stuff. And even if you do have him, which they did a year ago, you're still better if you have two or three guys who can pop in threes because it, give that, it gives that guy more space to operate. So 
they need to recruit shooters, and they need to when they have them, as they did a year ago with Miller Cop. They need to take full advantage. They did not with Miller a year ago when you had that great post scoring uh, that that you got out of Trace. You still didn't take advantage of having a forty five percent three point shooter on your squad. He, I think he shot a hundred and tw- between one hundred and twenty and one hundred and forty last year. And I will tell you that on most teams that have a forty six or forty five percent three point shooter who's a who's a fifth year senior, if you have that guy, he's he's taking over two hundred. And that that didn't happen with Miller a year ago. That they just aren't emphasizing that element of the game enough. You know, it's weird too. What has been a consistent argument uh, over the Mike Woodson tenure here so far in Bloomington is that he's too NBA oriented. You know, too fixated on on coaching. You know, as he coached in the NBA, and that is one aspect for whatever reason and arguably the most important aspect that you don't fully embrace. That is, I think, what a lot of people, IU fans in general, do question. But what what I don't understand about that is, like, it's not like he was only a coach in the NBA up until 2010. Um, He coached in the NBA as recently as five years ago. And the the whole Steph thing had already happened. So I don't know that – I know that there are things he does with some of his substitutions and things like that that can be – trade to the NBA, but the NBA had changed while he was working in it. And he was on teams that had to deal with it, either with their own approach or with coping with every time you played the Warriors or those who played like them. So I don't think that that's the the excuse or explanation. I just, for whatever reason, he hasn't embraced that with, with, with the Hoosiers program. And some of it is personnel. I mean, this team, doesn't shoot the basketball well. Uh, they didn't. They didn't recruit it enough in the off season. They, they knowing that they were le- le- losing Miller, they needed to go out and get somebody who they could count on to make shots at a, 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 and, and make them immediately. I know they were involved with a high school prospect who was a big time shooter uh, that they didn't get, but that player's not playing now. Um, I I don't think that he was ready for D one. I don't think he would have been a difference here. They needed to be in the in the portal looking for uh, somebody that can, that has made threes. You know, one thing I'll say, JMB, when I, when I look at a transfer, when we see all these transfers, these guys moving, and I concern myself, not just with the big 10, but the whole country because of what I do for sporting news. The first thing I look at when a perimeter player moves is what did he shoot where he was? And if he shot 38 or higher from three point or 37 on high attempts, if you're in that neighborhood, you're going to be you're going to be useful at your next school. Most guys are going to shoot around the number that they shot. Uh, it's, it may dip or it may get higher, but it, most are going to be around that number. And so that's something that is fairly easily transferable from place to place because you get guys that are terrific shooters at the mid major or low major level, and all you have to do is make emphasize that to take open shots and it's still the same shot. It doesn't matter if, if it's uh, somebody from Minnesota closing out on you or somebody from Mississippi Valley state, it, it's still, if, if you're open, you're open. And so it translates. And that's something that 
Indiana in this particular offseason did not emphasize enough. Mike DeCoursey's with us. Before I let you go, um, I, I do have a statement for you. For me, um, Dusty May is a high school friend of 35-plus years. Indiana State's my alma mater, and I cannot <laughs> see another first-round matchup. I know I should feel good about the Sycamores, but damn, DeCoursey, you're screwing me here. Don't do Here's it. Here's the thing, JMV. Here's the thing you have to think about, okay? About – 15 years ago, there was this big kerfuffle among advocates of mid-majors. Anytime you took like a Drake and a Western Kentucky and you matched them in the first round. And my response to that was always, but that means one of them automatically has to play in the second round. So in a sense, you can't lose with that matchup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, you're right, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I, listen, I go out and get wiped in the first round, and then I, you'd be 0 for 2. This way, one of them's going to win. I spell, well, you know, I was talking to Dusty the other day, and, you know, he, he's winning. You know, when he wins games, they win by five, and people were saying, well, they're not as good as last year because they're not blowing teams out and stuff. And that's what you deal with with a team that hit the heights in which they did last year. But I should just be happy that Indiana State is getting in. Um, that's what I need to be happy about here. So I hey, understand. The way they're playing, uh, if they, you know, it, I think at this point, if they continue with what they did on Saturday, uh, if they continue on, now Bradley might be, you know, a handful in the end, but if they can keep doing what they're doing and play in the final, I think they can get in either way. I, I, I mean, they have to keep, when I say keep doing what they're doing, I'm basically asking them to not lose. But I, I do believe that if they could do that, and only lose in the final, preferably to Drake, I think they can make it. Oh, that's about a sports arousal right there for me. That gets me all excited. (laughs) (laughs) We're all sycamores around here. Mike DeCourcy, the Sporting News, uh, of course, with the Big Ten Network. You can see his uh, bracket forecast as well, I think, each week. Mike, I appreciate that more than you know. We'll check it again soon. Thank you. You bet. Thank you. It's a Mike DeCourcy on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Bobby Buckets, top of the hour, Boilermaker fans. Purdue's went over Wisconsin yesterday and more. We'll do that. And, of course, Stephen Holder's going to join us at the 5 o'clock hour. Luke Bryan tickets also on the way. Don't go anywhere. The Ride with JMV. If somebody gets in your face and calls you a I want you to be nice. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. And Mike DeCourcy, podcast 107.5thefan.com. James over there, I'm John. Bobby Rydell is going to join us at the Boilermaker Radio Network. I was uh, listening to both he and Rob, and I go, you know, we have Rob on all the time. Rob is a longtime friend, and uh, Rob Blackman, that is, the uh, play-by-play voice. Uh, in fact, the, the sports the, the first sports show that I ever did on the air was with Rob at uh, Champions in um, the Weston, I believe. Remember Champions? Is it still there? Was it still called Champions? Champions in the Weston. And it was before. This goes way back. Maybe uh, 02, 03. It was before a preseason game with the Steelers and the Colts. That was uh, Rob Blackman and I back in the day. But Rob's on the show all the time. Also, I'm going to get Bobby Buckets on the show. 
Uh, Bobby joins us coming up at the top of the hour. Stephen Holder in the 5 o'clock hour as well. Big week, and I'll tell you where we're going to be and who's going to be coming on here um, as the week goes along. Nick writes this, so Buddy is in that part of the slump where it's all in his head now. He needs the all-star break like last week. And, and Nick, I would agree with that. I would agree. He just can't find it, and it looks like everything is absolutely short, and he is going about it the right way. He's t- trying to shoot himself out of it. But it's like he's just digging the hole deeper. I just wanted to tell you about what went down yesterday and how you looked at this so significantly as, oh, my goodness, look at the way he's talking to Carlisle, and he's mad, and he's chirping at the bench. Well, there's a reason why he was mad, because he's frustrated. But again, the bench and the players as a good team, you guys talk about this team, you know, enjoying one another, having a great locker room. That is at the top of the list, being able to police your own. Hey, get back down the floor. So it was a bad pass. So you're in a shooting slump. Get back down there and play. You're not a great defensive player. Get back down there and play. We oftentimes skip it. You just see like the the fun that's being had and the giggling and the laughing and all that. But you go through tough times too. And having a great locker room is even more essential during those times than it is for the times when things are going well for you. That was a moment that we saw in Charlotte last night. Quick break and we come back. Bobby Buckets, Bobby Rydell of the Boilermaker Radio Network. We shall talk up. Purdue, Wisconsin, Purdue later on this week, and the Boilers with they're playing right now all together. Bobby Buckets joins us next. The Ride with JMV. It's 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Holders coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Luke Bryan tickets. That annual summertime extravaganza, or at least concert season extravaganza. Your chance to win when you hear a Luke Bryan re-entry. More Pacers recap. I got that for you coming up here a little bit later on to the college basketball weekend. I don't know how much you want to get into the Pro Bowl. I didn't watch too much of that. But we got a lot on the plate for you. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, you can catch him along with our good friend Rob Blackman on the Boilermaker Radio Network and uh, called a fantastic game yesterday on the road in Madison, Wisconsin. The Boilers win over Wisconsin. And Bobby Riddell, the Bobby Buckets, aforementioned Bobby Buckets, joins us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Hey, Bobby, I will say this. Um, I have called you Bobby Rydell um, instead of Bobby Riddell. I apologize for that, but remember, I'm from southern Indiana, so that's kind of how that goes. I hope you're okay with that. So, I've been corrected. Yes. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's all good. I've gotten... um... I've gotten Rydell, I've gotten Riddell, I've gotten Riddle. I've got all that stuff growing up uh, over the years. So, yeah, uh, Rydell works just fine. But, yeah, technically it, it is Riddell. But, um, yeah, happy to, to come on. And well, you're going to be you're going to be Buckets from here on out, right, being go. a part of the show. So we're just going to go with Buckets right here. And I also want to give you a congratulations. So a little bit about a new member to the Buckets family here. 
Thank you very much. Yeah, it's been uh, a whirlwind last uh, week or so. Uh, my wife and I, uh, we have three older boys, nine, eight, and six. And then, uh, yeah, a little age gap here. And then we just uh, welcomed our first baby girl, Rose Rudell. So it's been uh, exciting. She's 3-0. and The boilers are 3-0 and since Rose has arrived. So uh, she's done a nice job so far. <laughs> that is, uh, that's awesome right there, though. Well, congratulations. That's fantastic news, man. It really is. Thank and, you. Uh, basketball yeah, lover, the basketball lover. The entire family love basketball as much as you do? Uh, yeah, there's a, definitely a, a strong basketball love in the Riddell family. Um, as far as my kids go, definitely trying to, to grow that with them. My my youngest son is definitely the most into it and, and is a pretty big fan. He he knows a lot of the, the Big Ten rosters and is always asking about the different scores and stuff. So that's that's been fun to have him uh, gain the interest in it. Would you go to Harrison High School? I did. Yep, Harrison High School. When did you yep. graduate? So, yeah. What year? I graduated in 2005, and when I played, uh, it was fun because we were back in the, I think it was the Hoosier Crossroads Conference. Yeah. Um, and so we played against all those indie schools, Zionsville, uh, Hamlet Southeastern, Avon, that was all those fun Indianapolis schools to play against Brownsburg. I, I played against, like, Mark Titus, for example, at Brownsburg. <laughs> and uh, You probably worked, right, it, you worked his ass there. over, didn't you? You worked him yeah. out. I would like to think so, but I, I'd, I'd have to check the box score on that one. Don't don't quote me on that. Well, I mean, but, normally yeah, his box battle. score comes with a lot of zeros in it. So, yeah, I would assume you probably worked him. That's right. Hopefully we were both avoiding the trillions back in high school. But, um, yeah, well, before we get started on Purdue, I was going to ask you, have you ever played in a pickup game um, in and around Lafayette with Mark Barnheiser or Brooks or Braxton before? Ever been in a pickup game with them? I haven't, but we actually, the neighborhood I live in is the same neighborhood that Brooks and Braxton grew up in. Um, so I, I live very close to their dad, uh, or their, I, I believe their dad uh, yes. still lives in that yep. same he house. Is, uh, he is the head coach so. of Lafayette, Jeff, Mark Barnheiser, who has been a friend of mine since 1988. So, yes. And I I just happen to think he's one of the, the better coaches I've ever been around on any level. So, I've got a – and I love Braxton and Brooks, too. Brooks is having a fantastic career so far at Northwestern. Man, it's it sure has been fun, right, to see Brooks and, and his development at Northwestern. Uh, it, yeah, it was really cool, of course, to have a guy that talented out of Lafayette. I'm always rooting for the Lafayette guys, of course, since I grew up there. And um, so, it's been fun to really watch Brooks flourish Northwestern this year is he's gotten increased opportunities starting every game and um, of course I don't like when he's playing against our Boilers giving us fits but uh, outside of that it's been really fun to watch him succeed. He is Bobby Riddell the Boilermaker Radio Network on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. What makes this team, you start with Lance Jones I'm sure, but what makes this team this Boilermaker team high level elite good this year? They were high level elite good last year but what's different about this one so far that you've seen? Sure. I mean, certainly the experience level of everyone, you know, the additional year has really helped. I think a lot of people forget as good as last year's team was, as far as power conference teams go, they were the fifth youngest team. So I think that was easily forgotten, of course, because Zach and how Dominic was and just how good those freshmen were right away and all the success we had early in the non-conference. But they were really a young team, and a lot of those guys were going through that stuff for the first time. Um, but so I think that extra year has really helped all those guys that have come back. And then, you know, you mentioned Lance Jones, of course, his uh, addition has been so massive. I mean, the guy has really plugged a lot of those missing holes on this team as far as some of the skill sets we, we needed. I mean, I, 
it's crazy going into the Wisconsin game. Prior to the Wisconsin game, we had set, uh, we had accomplished or achieved more fast break points already this season through 2020 through 22 games than we had the previous season through the full 35 game season. We'd already accomplished more fast break points, and Lance was leading that charge at 78 fast break points. So clearly, just as far as like stealing easy buckets in transition, uh, Lance has made a massive you know, addition there. And then his shot making guys, not afraid of the moment. Uh, what I thought was really impressive about Wisconsin was pretty much every field goal attempt he made was a pretty difficult shot, whether it was a tough drive over a contested, you know, shot blocker or a three or a full up jumper in somebody's face. I mean, he was really big time as far as hitting tough shots. And then I think Trey Kaufman ran, you know, his ascension is his health. He's obviously been in the starting lineup all year, you know, him and Mason Gillis, kind of tag team in that power forward spot. And, you know, Trey was that backup center last year, kind of playing like two two to five minutes a game backing up Zach, whereas now this year he's been able to get a lot more involved. And, and him and Mason have worked really well together, whether, you know, when one guy's got it going, he'll play a little bit more, or if the other guy's got it going or kind of matchup based, those two have really uh, been a nice duo there at that power forward spot. Hey, Bobby, tell me somebody that you would really like to see get going right now and not to suggest that they're playing badly but just get going at a higher clip right now well i mean there's there's one guy certainly i think that he just doesn't get a lot of opportunity of course because his, his minutes are a little hit or miss as far as uh, off the bench and that's Camden heidi the redshirt freshman he's shooting the ball from three at a really nice percentage this year on pretty low volume but of course, his shot attempts are, are very hit or miss as far as uh, because his minutes are you know up or down, and that's kind of the way that goes when you're you know that eighth man or so. But I do think you know the way he shoots the rock uh, and his ability at you know with his athleticism, his ability to guard on the other end, it's, that's an area he's improving game by game with his size and athleticism. I think you know he's got a chance to be one of those really good three and D two way wings, and I think as the season goes along, as he continues to get more experience. You know, there's going to be some opportunities where we might need him to, to even play more minutes, especially if teams are maybe really selling out on Zach, uh, allowing you know open kickout threes. A guy who shoots a, a great percentage like he does, you know, could get those opportunities, especially if he's able to defend on the other end. So, I would love to see him continue to gain experience and maybe even have some games where he's able to get you know some more shots and, and hopefully knock him down because you know he is ex- an exciting player with his athleticism. So, buckets, Bobby Riddell. From the Boilermaker Radio Networks on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. He was good at this a year ago, and he's even better at it. Talking about the the pick and slip, you know, the pick and roll, whatever, with, with Zach Eady. And I'm talking about with, with Braden Smith passing it, right? I mean, his passes. And they're, they're even better right now. I mean, it's high quality. But the thing that takes him next level is the consistency now we have seen with the 15- to 7-foot jump shots when defenses sag on him or sag down to Edie. How have you seen that mature from last year to this year with Braden Smith? No, for sure. I mean, you're definitely seeing the maturation process with him and the confidence as far as now. He's starting to see all these different ball screen coverages more and more and figuring out different ways to attack it. And I think none better as far as an example when you look at the last two games we played. Wisconsin, they play more of that drop coverage, kind of like we saw against Arizona with Omar Ballo breaking us so good in that game, coming off those screens. And with that drop coverage, just like against you know, Wisconsin, particularly in that first half, 
when they have that drop coverage, he's able to dribble into threes. And then a lot of times, like you said, that 15 to 17 foot jump shot where, where he's become super comfortable, whether that's going right or left, you know, his ability to shoot off the bounce has been such a tough thing for opposing defenses to go against if they're going to play that drop coverage to try to take away Zach's dive. Because a lot of teams, if they get out there in high hedge, like we saw the previous game, Northwestern, they do it a little bit differently. They really get that big out there, high hedge, keep two guys on Braden Smith for an extended period of time, trying to make him give up the basketball. But then that makes, on the back end, you've got a smaller guy having to take on that Zach Eady role. And you saw Braden Smith do a, a much better job this time handling that ball screen coverage than he did at Northwestern. If he was really able to drag it out, keep the ball longer, and then Zach Eady was able to get a bunch of catch and dunk opportunities at the rim on those dives because of Braden's ability to kind of manipulate that ball screen coverage and he ended up with a career high 16 assists in that game. And so, yeah, his, his ability at that point guard position to not only facilitate but now score at a high level has made us, you know, a very dangerous offensive team. He is Bobby Riddell, the Boilermaker Radio Network, on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So, Zach Eady, Player of the Week, Player of the Year a year ago, probably going to be Player of the Year again this year. Do we oftentimes, we, we really don't mention enough the effect, the impact he has on the defensive end, do we? No, we don't. I mean, Purdue's a top 20 defensive efficiency team for Ken Palm, and I think the, the large reason for that is Zach Eady. Just his ability to, to, to protect the rim, just his sheer size, right? I mean, so many opponents don't even go in there or think about attempting a shot at the rim because they just see the mountain of a man that Zach Eady is down there and it deters them. So, so many teams, when they play Purdue, end up shooting a bunch more floaters, contested pull-ups, even difficult threes, late shot clock than a lot of other teams would, who would, you know, that they would against other teams where they might feel more comfortable attacking the rim. And so just his presence alone is huge. But I feel like he's made major strides this year, moving his feet on the perimeter, you know, late shot clock stuff. We oftentimes will just switch it with Zach, and he's able to knock stuff out and really use his length and his improved foot speed on the perimeter to make things difficult. Guys will try to drive him, and he's able to recover and use his length and, and block those shots when they try to finish at the rim. So he's been unbelievable defensively because, you know, we definitely are not – you know, the most elite perimeter defensive team. I did think we did a much better job at Wisconsin than we've done recently as far as defending the three-point line and making things to pull in the perimeter. But, yeah, Zach, he's an unbelievable defender and definitely does not get the credit on that end because he's just such a dominant offensive force. Well, it, it does seem, too, like the opposing bigs, um, and, and, and Wall did it um, a couple of times. You saw it in the Northwestern game. They will, they will test to see if they can get any contact, get a foul call. But most oftentimes, they just kind of run into a brick wall and have to kick it back out. And and really, you get into the interior, into the paint, then you know the three-second violation comes into play as well. But it appears that oppositions with their bigs, not as big as Zach, they do try to test him, at least at the outset of the game, it appears. No, for sure. I mean, that's also one of the, the perks of Zach Eady is more often than not, he if you have a, a player who's a really good interior player, Zach's size and stuff negates a lot of that effectiveness. And you will see from time to time certain you know teams try to test him a little bit. But he's for the most part, you know, Tyler Wall did a good job one time, you know, getting Zach up off his feet a little bit and, and was able to get a foul on Zach. But for the most part, Zach's done such a good job of staying down and just utilizing his size uh, to deter – 
opponents from being able to finish. And he's, he's so difficult to finish over even when he stays on his feet because he's so long and so big. But, you know, Tyler Wall did have a little bit of success sometimes trying to gain some angles on him. But, you know, Tyler Wall is one of the best in the business at, at finishing down around the basket with, with his quickness and, and getting angles. But for the most part, yeah, teams will try to test him early. Like you saw Omar Ballo for Arizona, really good big. He tried to score a couple times against Zach with his back to the basket, and it did not go well. And then, obviously, you saw Arizona go away from that for the most part. So that's definitely one of the big assets of Zach is teams that have good post play. They're often not thriving very often against uh, Zach down low. You've been around this team a lot, and Bobby Riddell, the Boilermaker Radio Network, is with us. And you know, I was I was talking to Matt about this in, in the first time he was on the show this year. But how quickly did you see this team end up, you know, losing any thought whatsoever about what took place in Columbus last March? I mean, I, I know that didn't have any effect on on the beginning of the season. How quickly, you know, in terms of working out and preparation for the season did you see this group lose that thought and then concentrate and focus in on a new season this season and getting past that point yeah it's, it's a good question I mean obviously what happened last March you know it's going to linger a little bit there's no question until you know the team is able to get to March this year and hopefully get that monkey off their back but uh, I think they're, the ability for the team to have a foreign trip this summer was probably nice just even though the competition didn't end up being great, just to you know be able to go over there and play some games against other teams and just play some different teams that you yeah, hadn't had a chance to do since you had lost that game in March. That was probably nice to kind of turn the page a little bit. And then, you know, I'm sure they obviously in practice just saw Lance Jones and how good he was and how much he was going to help and just the improvement of all the players coming back. Trickoff and Red had a huge summer. I think they probably also just internally were like, all right, we're a better, more experienced team. We're determined, and you know we're going to go into this season, you know, guns blazing kind of thing, and ready to make amends for last year. So, uh, this team obviously has been playing really well this year, and, and clearly is, is looking to uh, make a deep run this month. So Bobby Riddell, Bobby Buckets. You can hear him on the uh, Boilermaker Radio Network. By the way, too, I, I had Matt on the show back on Thursday, and I mentioned when you and Rob were talking about what the Boilers were doing against Boo Booey, and you referenced the zone. He explained it in its entirety, but it was because of your reference of kind of a zone that perked my, my ears up and attention, so I passed it along to him last week. Well done. Yeah, I mean, it was it was an interesting thing that Purdue tried, you know, in at Northwestern. Northwestern kept doing uh, a like-sized ball screen where they would bring up, like, Fletcher Lawyer or Brayden Smithman and set a ball screen on, on Boo Booey to get that switch because Purdue will, will switch like-sized ball screens. And they were trying to get Lance Jones off of Boo. And you see this in the NBA all the time where, like, they'll bring up a, a guy's man who they think is a poor defender and try to get the switch. Well, Northwestern was just doing that same thing, and they were letting Boo try to attack advantageous matchups and we in this particular game we're trying to figure out okay what can we maybe do to try to dissuade those boo-boo one-on-one isolation opportunities against those advantageous matchups and so we decided hey what if we throw you know a little bit of a zone at them where basically we're just going to throw try to show a bunch of bodies in a zone like format and hope who gets the ball basically just hoping that's going to get the ball out of boo's hands he'll move it and then they're going to try to match up and get back into man-to-man and they unfortunately just had a little bit of, of issues matching up once Boo got rid of it. Uh, obviously, it wasn't something they had a whole lot of time to, to practice. But, um, you know, I think it only ended up being like three possessions or so. And, of course, Northwestern <laughs> stuck two threes into those three <laughs> possessions. So, I'm sure Coach Painter 
didn't love that little experiment on how it went, but uh, yeah, the idea was certainly to not let Boo Booey uh, just thrive in one-on-one opportunities. It's uh, Bobby Riddell, the Boilermaker Radio Network, known as Buckets on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Again, congratulations on the family edition, man. We'll do this again as much as you want to come on. I, you know, I go back a long way with Rob, and it's good to have you on. I really enjoy listen, listening to your broadcast and your game play-by-play and analyst work. Well done. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, Rob's the best. He's been super fun to work with. His first year on the broadcast was my freshman year as a player. So it's been really fun to be able to work with a guy who uh, I've known for a long time and have a really good pre-existing relationship with. And, uh, you know, he's made it seamless for me coming onto the broadcast team. Is he? Uh, gosh, this is our fourth year now. So. Yeah. Is he um, Is he North White's finest? Is that how you would describe him? North White's yeah. finest? I think you're right. He's got it. He's got a North White's finest. <laughs> Probably one of the star alums of Nick White. So, yeah, the voice of the Boilers. Uh, man, I appreciate that again. Congratulations on the addition to the family. We'll do it again soon. Awesome. Thanks, JMB. Appreciate you having me. It's uh, Bobby Riddell, the Boilermaker Radio Network. He's called Bobby Buckets. So, he played at Harrison. So, you get Hamilton Southeastern, Zionsville, Noblesville. Yeah, he was up and around here back then. Now, that's good. First time on the show. Bobby Buckets. So we're Shams talking about the Pacers having interest in a particular player that you would know. I'll bring that up coming up on the other side. If you missed out on this, the three-point contest at All-Star Weekend, it is set. Laurie Markinen of Utah, Jalen Brunson of the Knicks, Malik Beasley, and Damian Lillard of Milwaukee, and Tyrese Halliburton of the Pacers. That would be the three. And the significant news of Joel Embiid, they're talking about hoping to get him back during the postseason. That is a long time to ride without your best and, frankly, the NBA's best when he's out there. That is incredible news right there. Lateral meniscus surgery. And they say an extended period of time. What did I read? What's Doc Rivers? Is he 0-3 as the Bucks head coach? I think he just got his first one. Uh, one and three now. So he's going to be the uh, all-star coach. <laughs> hey, JMV, the NBA unveiled is going to be what exactly kind of court? Not much online. Well, for the um, the skills, the celebrity game, and other things, they're going to be playing on a glass court. At Lucas Oil Stadium. Have you seen the video of the glass court over there, James? I have not, no. How in the hell do you play on a glass court? I know. I grew up and I lived on a dirt floor, right. But how do you play on a glass court? You not slide around. Anybody out there ever played on a glass court? I played, obviously, on hardwood. Um, On rubber. Anybody ever play at a church where the basketball floor or the court, if you will, was carpet 
Anybody? <laughs> I'm serious. Anybody out there ever play on a carpet court? I have played on tile, which is terrible. What do they have at? Uh, anybody go to New Hope, the church down there? I haven't played there in a long time. Their gym is like uh, some kind of plastic. It's like Lego put together. There's some other things besides rubber, some other kind of courts like that. But I, I, basically, some of these courts are made so it's not just for basketball practice when you have everybody else messing around in there and they're scuffing up that court that makes sure that the main court that you have is maintaining the freshness and not the dirt and the marks and all that crap. I, see, I went to a high school where like everybody was in one gym. Right, we had one gym, so everybody, everybody participated in that one gym. It wasn't just about basketball. You had PE in there, and some of those that I went to school with didn't have like tennis shoes or basketball shoes or running shoes. They had boots, so you had cowboy boots and regular boots being utilized in there. I was mortified at the age of seven. When they played donkey basketball in the Eastern Gymnasium, with nothing down, donkeys, and I believe Billy Keller was actually on the back of a donkey at this game. The donkey would, the donkeys would just scuff up the gym floor, hardwood gym floor, and would just take dumps. Just, hey, I'm going to dump right here at the half court line. Let me get down here in the post. I'm going to go ahead and take a dump here on the low block. And see, even at seven, I was mortified by that. I go, wait a minute. Can you not do this like outside somewhere? Why is this got to be in here? I know it's for charity and that's great. Why's it got to be in here? And I cannot be, even in my high level of hillbilliness. I could not be the only one that had a school or attended a school that ever hosted a donkey basketball game. Running around out there. I swear Billy Keller was on the back of a donkey. Swear. At seven. I was seven. And just in shock. See, I mean, when you're growing up and you're young, when you see animals for lack of a better description, break one off, it normally is something that is giggle-worthy, right? We all giggle. I, I still do to this day, but that wasn't giggle-worthy. Well, man, that's where we play basketball. It's brutal. John Buzzard said, I have both voted in and played. <laughs> voted in and played on a carpeted... Here's what's funny. You played on a carpeted gym? So... They used to have dances in the gym, too, and I got mad. Seriously, I, I was already way too old. But it was because how much I love basketball. I'd get mad when they would host dances in the gym, and you would get everybody in their dress shoes and boots and they're dancing around with not everything covered up. It just damaged the floor. I, I got pissed out of that. I was 13. Carpeted gym floors. This one's glass, right, James? Glass at Lucas Oil Stadium? Yeah, For I the think skills so. competition? You think Larry Bird would look like shooting threes and dominating a three-point shootout on a glass floor? 
think Larry Bird would just go, all right, what is with this glass floor stuff? It's funny. I was having a conversation. I won't get lengthy on this before the break. Having a conversation about, you know, Larry Bird and, you know, the winning time on HBO with the Lakers that was so good for a couple of seasons and then uh, unfortunately was cut loose. They're not doing anymore. I absolutely loved it. John C. Riley is Jerry Buss. But some of the better moments in that were the Larry Bird moments. And I know that everything was over-exaggerated, but the scoring at will in a pickup game at Indiana State against actual Indiana State players while wearing jeans was not exaggerated. That was real. Wearing, I don't think he was wearing boots, but he was wearing jeans and he was working everybody. All right, quick break. We'll come back. I got your calls on the other side. Luke Bryan tickets coming up here, too. Stephen Holder, top of the hour. Busy week. I tell you when, where, and why, and who will all be on the show coming up. 93.51075, the fan. The Ride with JMV. We're not going to fall for a banana in the tailpipe. You're not going to fall for the banana in the tailpipe? It should be more natural, brother. It should flow out like this. Look, man, I ain't falling for no banana in my tailpipe. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Inside the AAA Membership Lounge via YouTube Live, thank you all for joining us. I appreciate you guys per usual, right? I'm on the other side of the microphone right here if you're looking. I don't know if this is my best side right here. It's certainly one of my sides. Speaking of sides, uh, Greg writes this, the best carpeted gym floors are the ones that also serve as the cafeteria. (laughs) Absolutely disgusting. The carpeted gym floor, the glass floor for the skills competitions and other things going on during NBA All-Star Weekend at Lucas Oil Stadium. The glass floor. Mm. That's outstanding. Now, it's for the LED lights, I believe. Um, JMV, the Warren, Indiana gym in Huntington, Indiana, hosted an annual donkey basketball game for a fundraiser. Both of my parents participated in the 70s. Home of the Lightning Five. Probably the coolest name for a high school basketball team ever. That's well done. That is well done. (laughs) Donkey basketball. Yeah, Donovan Mitchell, by the way, has been added. I I gave you that list from Shams for the three-point competition. I think Donovan Mitchell, the Cavaliers, also has been added to that. So take it for what it's worth. Bobby Riddell of the Boilermaker Radio Network a little bit earlier talked about Purdue's big win yesterday. That, of course, on the road in Madison, Wisconsin. Big one next up for Purdue, IU on Saturday in West Lafayette. IU's peacock tomorrow night. IU has been peacocked at 7 o'clock. I'm assuming that will give a lot of you IU fans a significant out not to watch it. Peacocked at 7 o'clock at Ohio State. That actually sounded pretty good. Peacocked at 7 o'clock. A lot of you can just say, hey, you know what? It's on Peacock. That'd become an excuse. 
Hey, I use on tonight. Yeah, but it's on Peacock. Hey, JMV, I heard you mention the Grammys. I did not watch it last night, but I certainly saw all over the internet the performance of Fast Car. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And then still, like, we live in a world where people found crap to say about it. Just our world, I guess. I'm not going to direct you to it any longer. Hey, Indiana State, a big win over Drake on Saturday, so shout out to the Sycamores. Not in the top 25 just yet. In terms of the top 25, if Indiana State is in Terre Haute, which it is, um, they would be right now the basketball team. They would be in Riley. So, or if you're coming northbound on 41, Farmersburg. They would be in Farmersburg. That is the equivalent. Indiana State and Terre Haute, number 28 overall, 53 votes. So, in comparison to the top 25, Indiana State's basketball team to that of Terre Haute would be in Farmersburg right now. Not too far off. It's where Channel 2 is. WTWO. Uh, Brian's at 239-1070 to start out the day. Hello, Brian. How are you? I'm good. Hey, uh, the Barnheiser you talk about, is that the, the Barnheiser from Lapel, Indiana? It is. Okay. Well, I'm from Anderson, and He's a couple of years older. I remember him uh, having to go against the city teams. Man, he was a great shooter. That yeah, could, yeah, he was a he, he was, was a bad a dude, he, and he shot it from anywhere and everywhere at any time at a high volume. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was back in the day when uh, you had the three city schools in Anderson, and then Lapel, and I think Elwood. Those smaller schools would have to compete, but man, that, that, there was some great basketball back then. Yeah, I mean, yeah. outstanding Alexandria. Yep. I, yep. I, I don't know if you ever heard of uh, uh, Dally Hunter, Dally Hunter, the guy that coached at Alexandria. Um, when they won the two A, and I talked to him, and I said, "What do you think about class basketball?" He says, "Good for the kids," but he said, "I'd much rather win an Anderson basketball sectional." Yeah, and that's how that's how and, and thank you for the call too. I appreciate it. Mark Barnheiser is from Lapel. He's the head coach at Lafayette Jeff, and that's exactly how it used to be. But uh that has not certainly long since now been the thought. But that's that's how it once was, no question. Thank you, Brian, for the call. I mentioned this before the break. Uh according to Shams. The Mavericks and the Pacers have expressed interest in Andrew Wiggins. Yeah, Andrew Wiggins, of course, of the Golden State Warriors. I'm going to see what he has left contractually. I know it's a crap ton of money. And if you've watched them play this year, for a disappointing Golden State team, which I believe is going to be in here on Thursday. See if we can't get Trace on the show tomorrow. But on this Golden State team that obviously always has, and you got to keep in mind, too, they always have these championship aspirations. Bob Myers, the GM, left. Mike Dunleavy Jr. took over. And they're about ready to go ahead and revamp basically everything but Steph Curry. 
Uh, Andrew Wiggins, just a little over 12 a game. I'll be honest with you, the, the Wiggins, the last time Golden State won it, I thought was fantastic. This version of Wiggins is not one that gets me excited whatsoever. I know everybody gets all excited. The sports arousal comes with any sort of trade interest. When it says expressing interest, I know a lot of people out there pop a pup tent, sports-wise. This is not one that does much for me. And given the fact they're at Golden State, you've seen them play just about every night. And it's been nothing to write home about. So that, however, is the latest, the Mavericks and the Pacers. I just don't know what he has on his contract right now and what you'd have to deal with. I'm still going to say they don't do anything. And again, as I said at the outset of the show, I know everybody can be bad at Buddy, and Buddy's not shooting well. I get that. But Buddy is a good enough shooter, I think, to deserve respect that at some point that is going to come back. He's not a bad shooter, or at least what these past handful of games would dictate. And as I mentioned at the start of the show, I if I were you, I wouldn't jack with the offense. Like The offense hasn't been as good as it has been, and I know it's not going to be at a buck 25 a game clip. I'd just be careful with messing with the offense. And I have a pretty good track record. I told you to be careful about T.J. McConnell. You're glad I told you that. I told you about being careful with Daniel Tice, and there have been like five or six times when you kind of wish that they would have thought that thing through a different angle. However, he wanted it out, so he wanted it out before anything else. I just think there are a lot of things that you haven't seen about this group that you need to see a little bit more. And you know what? Maybe maybe it ends up being underwhelming considering what we thought prior to the deal for Siakam. I just think you have to see a little bit more. There just hasn't been nearly enough. And then Chad Buchanan on the show last week, Pacers general manager, referenced the fact that they did that big deal already. Didn't sound like to me that they were thinking about doing anything else. Andrew's up next at 239-1070. Andrew, welcome to the show. Hey, JMB. Hello, hey, Andrew. I, I heard you talking. I jumped in the car after work, and you started talking about carpet on the gym floor. Yes. Uh, and I attended uh, St. Lawrence Elementary at 46 in Shadlin, and in my entire time at St. Lawrence, we had a carpeted gym floor. It was kind of like a, a golden, tannish, brown uh <laughs> you know, gym floor, but it was, uh, that was the first thing I was like, you know, I, I had to call in at least say something about it. Cause I, I know all the, if there was anybody from St. Lawrence listening out there, they were like, yeah, we had that in the, in the middle of the nineties. Uh, but it was, uh, yeah, it was good for rug burns, you know, especially if you, you know, got on the floor, but, um, we always, you know, we referred to it as carpet square arena. As, <laughs> hey, as, that's uh, awesome, man. As carpet square arena. Well done. It was Carpet Square Arena. So, anyway, that's all I had for you. But I had to give a shout-out to St. Lawrence for their carpet floor back in the day. See, I didn't like – I don't like carpet floors now. I didn't like it back then. I understand why they tried to make it, you know, multi-useful. It's not just for playing basketball on, I'm sure, for other events. But, man, it was a bummer. Whenever you walked into a gym that did not have hardwood for me, it's always been a bummer. (laughs) 
Yeah, and it, it's just something that, like, you know, I started going there when I was in first grade, so I didn't really know any different. But uh, as you got older, you know, other teams would say stuff about it when they came in, and you'd see their faces, like, you know, and, and then as you got older, like, most of them had been there before, but I think they just kind of got used to it. But, uh, you know, you, one thing I, I really liked about it is that you never slipped on it. It, it was, you know, and the ball did bounce pretty similar. I, I know it sounds weird, but. I, I did like the fact that the traction was, was really good on it, but that's just me. And, and like I said, I'm kind of partial to it anyway because, you know, I played so many years on that floor. But anyway. Yep. Hey, thank you for the call. Yep. Appreciate thank that, you. Andrew. The carpeted gym. Yeah, truth be told, if I walked into a gym and it didn't have hardwood, I'm just immediately bummed out. Some certainly are better than others. Multi-use, I get it. I don't... I'm probably going to hear from an administrator. Well, we have to have that for multi-use. We use it as a cafeteria. We use it for plays. We use it for family get-togethers. We use it for graduation. It's not just about basketball, JMV. Well, this is a sports show, and this is about basketball. Mr. Administrator. And a lot of those, lot of those people I like, some of those I don't. Just reinvent the wheel. Just be the be the ones that don't take the cash, though. How about that? <laughs> don't take the cash. Nineteen committees and taking the cash. Don't do that. And if that's cash, you put the cash into a hardwood floor. Yeah, I mentioned with the Pacers yesterday, ninety nine points. And listen, it is on paper in the box score a great defensive effort. But Charlotte has about 99 points worth of offense right now. That makes sense. If you watched that game last night, the 10-win Charlotte Hornets, that makes sense. Pascal Siakam had 25 points, 9 assists, 8 rebounds. Aaron Neesmith, 22, Miles, 16, and 10. Tyrese Halliburton, 20 minutes of play. I was kind of curious as to whether or not he was going to be reinserted. I was kind of interested if they would, they were going to. I'm just glad they didn't have to. I, I really want to see these guys get some rest. We know about the Halliburton situation, but I mentioned this too on Friday and then he did not end up playing. Miles, Miles hadn't looked right, I don't think. And hell, I think I would know, considering how much I have to watch, how much it's magnified. You guys are on me like minute-by-minute minute status. He just hadn't looked right. And I'll be honest with you, he hadn't looked right since the Embiid game to me. You need some rest or something. Uh, 16 points and 10 rebounds for 33. And uh, Jalen Smith had 10. I think Benedict Matherin, 14 off the bench. And the Pacers doing yesterday, last night, exactly what was necessary to have been done. You know what? I think I remember that. JMV, the UD Arena in Dayton, Ohio, had a poured floor basically rubber until the mid 90s i do remember that thank you 
Um, JMV, I know how you're a big fan of all Pizza King locations. Give a big-time sky point to Wendell Swartz. He founded Pizza King and the Pizza King chains here in Indiana, died at the age of 98. And obviously over the past, what would you guys say, 15 or so years, the Pizza King brand has reemerged even more so. But it goes back forever. Wendell Swartz, Skypoint, the businessman who founded a very popular Indiana chain known as Pizza King. That is one of my favorites, too. Right there with it. Right at the top of the list. All right, quick break. We'll come back. Stephen Holder, top of the hour. Did you get that email that I sent you to? Oh, we'll find out more about that. Maybe somebody else coming on. Get you a little insight on the other side, too. Bobby Riddell, Boilermaker Radio Network, and we also talked to Mike DeCourcy a little bit earlier, I should say, Sporting News and the Big Ten Network about a variety of things. Don't go anywhere. Luke Bryan tickets coming at you as well in just a little bit. All week long, we'll be giving away a pair of tickets each day for that show right here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. He's my best friend. He's my pal. He's my homeboy, my rotten soldier. He's my sweet cheese. My good time boy. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Stephen Holder, top of the hour. Bobby Riddell, the Boilermaker Radio Network. Bobby Buckets, first time on the show. Mike DeCourcy a little bit earlier, too. Podcast 107.5thefan.com. So, Gutshot sent me this. I'm guessing you were already watching Skinamax, but did you catch any of the Butler win at Creighton? That was so impressive that was so enjoyable to watch gut shot that that occupied first segment status because of that win along with purdue and indiana state got first segment status if you lose you don't get first well sometimes you do if you're getting ripped the thing about Indiana, though, I mean, everybody got to be tougher. You just get all this stuff that you just drives you nuts. <laughs> just does. There's so many things just beyond being tough. Got to be tough. So many things that need to be done with that, and they're so far away. And I kind of view it like this. I view it like with Chris Ballard. When we knew that he got extended and he was going to be back, and we all, like me, questioned, well, this has been the resume so far, and so how many more years do you have? You know, you're going into year seven, going to be going into year eight. But at that point in time, when you know, Jim Irsay put all his confidence in him, then talking about getting rid of him was gone. And it's the same with Mike Woodson. He's not going to go anywhere this year. Now that's going to put more heat, more pressure on him to turn this thing around coming up next year. But but honestly, I mean, it already should be on because on Saturday, that's just not a product that should be offered up on a Saturday hosting Penn State and Bloomington. That was an embarrassment. 
But he's not going to go anywhere no matter how much you shake your fist. And I know a lot of people suggest that he does need to go someplace. I mean, hell, I get it all the time. I mean, Dusty May is a friend of mine. And everybody thinks, well, can you go ahead and do like, I can't do anything. You know, whether it's Dusty or Josh Schertz at Indiana State or Bruce Pearl, or all these names are mentioned. But, I mean, you just end up going through the ringer, but full well knowing that Woodson's not going to go anyplace. Unless this thing falls apart stratospherically, he's not going to go anyplace at the end of this year. But, no, Butler got first segment status all the way. That was as tough a game, shot it superbly in the second half, and then had to endure a struggle with getting the ball in bounds. Ah, late free throw making, late shot making, defensive stop. Davis getting cut in the eye. (laughs) That was... That uh, what's his name, Kalkbrenner? Just got him right in the eyeball, cut him open. Kapke coming in, knocking down a couple of free throws. Just impressive stuff. So yeah, that was gut shot first segment status right there because oftentimes we utilize that for the winners. Quick break. We shall return. Stephen Holder on the other side. Luke Bryan tickets also coming up. Do not go anywhere. Ninety three five one zero seven five the fan. The Ride with JMV. and 107.5, The Fan. I did not watch the Grammys last night, but I did see uh, a couple of different replays on social media of Tracy Chapman and Luke Combs. That was pretty cool. I don't think I had seen... Tracy Chapman perform in hell, I don't know how many years. Now, I believe this to be the case. Fast Car, huge song, what, 1988? And then did Tracy Chapman not have a song that was huge in the 90s called Give Me One Reason? But last night was pretty good. Or I should say that performance last night was pretty good. I did not watch it. Alexander writes this. What's the highest seed you think the fighting trees can get in the tournament? I, I Here's my thought, Alexander, and I hate to be this way, and maybe I'm completely underselling them. I just think to be 100% safe, coming from a mid-major conference, Missouri Valley, and knowing how tightly packed, honestly, Indiana State, Bradley, and Drake might be. I'm not going to consider really much until they win that tournament. I just, I can't. Can you imagine the massive disappointment it would be if it does come down to a decision and then, again, the committee? You know how I feel about committees. There's not a good one out there. Well, there's one good one. But really, that's not even good. (laughs) I hate committees. Committees are there to screw stuff up even more. I wouldn't leave it up to the committee. 
Yeah, in this case, I think you just got to punch it for yourself. I will say this, Alexander. This has been so much fun, and I equated it to how I felt last year from my friend Dusty May when they started about this time or maybe at the end of January a year ago, we started having him on the show and they started that run that ended in the Final Four. It was incredible. It's got the feeling. I don't know if it's because I'm, I'm again, close to it. You know, like I was was dusty in Florida Atlantic, like I am now with my alma mater, Indiana State, but it it has some similar feelings. And you just don't want to see it end. I love what it's doing for the school, certainly for the basketball program. But for Terre Haute, too, that was just a jack beyond belief and hype joint on Saturday night. Great to see. Yeah, I mean, even the committee you guys know that I'm talking about, I don't know how great that one is. <laughs> it's funny. Great, I don't know. Not so sure. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline, ESPN, ESPN.com. He has been staked out in Central Florida for a number of days. Involved in the Pro Bowl festivity, Stephen Holder joins us. So how was your time in Central Florida? Oh, man, it was glorious, man. I mean, what? I would say the average temperature, I know I'm a big weather guy. Um, the average temperature during the week was probably 68 So and, and sunny. So I was loving life, man. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was good. Um, I, I, I guess I, I started a, a firestorm unintentionally with Stephon Diggs while I was at it. So well, well, wait fun. a minute. I'm unaware of the firestorm. I apologize. <laughs> I've had my head no, in the sand. No, my head, my head's been in Terre Haute over the weekend. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but look. Uh, so, okay, I know this doesn't have anything to do with our show here, but um, but just for the background. So, Stephon Diggs. Uh, there's been a lot going on with Buffalo this year, right? Um, offense coordinator fired. He drops the big pass in the playoff game on that big deep throw from Josh Allen, you know, they lose to the chiefs frustrating, et cetera. He hasn't really talked. Uh, he didn't talk to the media. I don't think for the last couple of weeks and did not talk after the game or, or when they cleaned out their lockers. So no one's heard from him. And, you know, there's always like a little bit of smoke with him. Like, is he happy? What's going on there? And I asked him, I said, Hey, you know, um, a lot happened in Buffalo this year. You know, are you optimistic about the future, et cetera, et cetera? And gave these like really cryptic answers along the lines of, well, you know, um, you know, I, I can't tell the future, man, you know, we'll see. And I said, okay, well, like, but, but you're ready to, you're ready to roll, right? You're like, you're, you're good to go with, with the bills and all that. And he's like, yeah, well, I'll, I'll be ready to roll no matter what happens. I'm like, well, what, what? What do you mean, man? <laughs> so, anyway, I'm, that's the abbreviated version. So I write the story, and oh boy, I was I was a villain in Western New York. Oh, you're trying to start stuff. Actually, I gave this guy every opportunity to like not make this a big deal, and he bent over backwards to say what he had to say. He's a smart guy. He knows what he's doing. He's 30 years old, I bet. So, wasn't my fault, man. If anybody's wondering. So. With Stephon Diggs, is he at that point now to where the problems that can occur around him are 
certainly a lot more than the production that he can get you game by game and the I guess the place ultimately he can help a team get to uh, once right. they get into the postseason. Does one side outweigh the other right now? That's a great question. But there is a, there is a reality in in this game, right? Where you know, are you worth the trouble? Now he's not causing a problem here. Let me be clear. Like I don't think this is a big deal, but at some point, right? You just kind of want some calm waters. You don't want to have to deal with, you know, is he happy? Is he not happy? You know, those kinds of things. I would say that that becomes a fair question. The older a player gets, uh, Stefan, I think is 30 years old. Now uh, his production maybe wasn't as impressive this year. And I, I know that their general manager uh, in Buffalo at the end of the season um, you know, he was asked about him and, and his defense of Stefan Diggs was that, Hey, I still think he's a number one receiver. And it's funny, like that would not have even needed to be said two years ago. Right. So that I thought was kind of interesting. I'm not saying that I believe differently. I just think it's, it's notable that, that even his own general manager thought that needed to be said. Yeah, however, I would still take 107 catches and uh, nearly 1,200 yards and eight TDs. I would take it right here in a half a second right now. Yeah. I would. I think some of – by some measures, his numbers were down. Overall, still pretty good numbers. Uh, I just think it's it's relative to, like, what he's done in the past, right? But, no, you're not kidding. I mean, the guy is still a highly productive player. Let's be honest – there's probably a very, very, very overwhelming chance he's back in Buffalo next year and this conversation won't matter. But there are at least there is at least some question mark as to whether he's all in. I mean, he could easily have said, I'm all in and I love it in Buffalo and there's really nothing to talk about. And I would have gone off with my tail between my legs. He didn't say that. So that was interesting. So Stephen Holder of ESPN on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So that kinda is about the question I'm going to ask this time of year or maybe Mm -hmm. after the Super Bowl, we start to see some of these wide receivers, right? These guys kind of shake loose from remaining with their team, things we would not think, right? I mean, we know some of these guys beforehand, like you you knew T. Higgins, for example, is going into free agency, guys like that that may have availability if their teams don't bring them back. But any disgruntledness? Like we thought maybe Justin Jefferson would have that in Minnesota. I'm talking about among the elite-level receivers. Any disgruntledness out there that maybe a certain indie area team might be able to take advantage of? Because I have my <laughs> fingers crossed. I do. I hear that. I hear that. Uh, I, I think it's probably a little early to know. Um, we'll see. I think who are the guys, I guess, that are looking for new deals? I guess that's that's how you'll know, you know. Um I don't know of any of any situations that are brewing, but I also think a lot of times these things sneak up on you. I mean, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, you know, there are a lot of times we don't know what's happening behind the scenes until we know. You know what I'm saying? And then, and then suddenly, uh, some some things get leaked and. There starts to be a little buzz, and then next thing you know, someone's on the trading block. I mean, you know, the Russell Wilson situation, uh, not the more recent situation, but uh, when he was traded from Seattle, there was a little bit of that there, right? I, I don't think, if I recall correctly, I don't remember thinking 
oh, he's absolutely getting traded this offseason. I think there was like some undertone, something might be going on there. And then it went from that to, oh, wait, this is happening. So that happens sometimes, you know, and I just think it really boils down to, you know, whether there's motivation on either side to get the, to, to find a, a solution to a problem. But I don't know. I don't, I, I still think the likely scenario here is that Michael Pittman's their number one receiver next season and they move forward there. But, but if you're, if you're talking about a night, an outside addition, now keep in mind, if you're, especially if you're talking about a, a trade situation, those guys in those situations often want to get paid too. So you're going to have to pay twice. You know, it's like the DeForest Buckner trade. You, you got to give the pick or picks and you got to give the contract. So that gets dicey. Uh, I think it can work in certain situations. I thought the DeForest Buckner situation, I mean, that's a, that's one where it's hard to argue that was a bad acquisition, uh, but it doesn't always, it, it's not always the right move. So I don't know. I know we're talking super hypothetical here. Sure. But but um, I don't know. I guess it, it, it would have to be taken on a case by case basis, based on who we're talking about. You um you brought up Stephon Diggs uh, and then and Stephen Holder by the way joins us. There was some AJ Brown conversation about his level mm. of happiness in Philadelphia as well. And I guess the reason why I bring this up is mm-hmm. to quench the thirst that a lot of people, including myself, would have around here. That is basically the only way you're going to see. Um, a wide receiver that we all would love to see around here if somebody is disgruntled and it just kind of you know falls in your lap or you're motivated to see it fall yeah. in your lap because really all other ways unless you're just simply going to draft somebody in the first round that's going to be it that's going to be your avenue I think that's fair I, I do think that I mean most of these guys we're talking about were drafted pretty high so that's still the best way to do it, but you'd have to actually draft a receiver in the first round to make that happen. <laughs> so, right. um, and you know, in, in Chris Ballard's history, I don't think there's a whole lot of that. So maybe that's not going to be the case, um, but that's still the best way to do it. Um, going this route, you know, where you have to, you know, somebody falls out of the trees, um, they fall out of the trees, but they're not cheap either. You know, so you've got to, as I said, you got to pay twice. I don't know. AJ Brown, I think everything in Philadelphia, nothing in Philadelphia is ever, is ever certain. And I guess what I mean by that is like, they're not afraid to make big moves one way or the other. They, they traded for him. Uh, they, I could see a scenario where if, if there was, if, if the situation was right, they'd trade him away. Now, I don't know anything about what's happening there, but all I'm saying is Philadelphia, I mean, we know this from the Carson Wentz trade. So this is a, I'm just talking in generalities here. Let me be clear. But what we know about the Eagles is that if they think a move makes sense, they will pull the trigger. That is what they do. And, and they have not been hesitant to do that, you know, whether it's coming or going. So sure. Who knows? You think uh, Nick Sirianni's uh, an interesting story. You think the the resurfacing, if you will, of those assistants around him, was that a necessity for him, you think, to end up keeping that gig? Is that how tight that may have been with Philly, even after being in the Super Bowl a year ago, but having this tremendous letdown at the end of this year? Was that kind of one of the gives and takes here of him remaining as the head coach? It's not necessarily, but I would say this. I do think that at minimum, he's on a very hot seat next year. So you've got to set yourself up for success 
2024 because what just happened can't happen again. That just that is very clear. It cannot happen again. Um, you know things are hot down there, uh, up there, because you know, like for example, I, I tried to talk to Jalen Hurts this week, and lots of people wanted to talk to Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts was very clear. I ain't talking because he knows <laughs> yeah. it's a pretty volatile situation there. And he knows anything he says, it's going to be a headline and things are, things are really dicey there. Right. And there's a lot of pressure on everybody in that situation, the quarterback, the coach, everybody. So to your question, standing in place and standing pat was not an option. Whether, whether his deck was on the line right now, which I don't know to be the case, or whether we're talking about him being on a hot seat next year, you have to set things in motion now to have success later on. Uh, that offensive coordinator situation was not sustainable. It absolutely wasn't. And they had to do what they had to do. We'll see. I, I would say this. If it doesn't work well, if it doesn't work out for him next season, it's going to be on Nick. There's no doubt about it. And I like Nick a lot, uh, but it, it's going to be on him. There's no doubt about it. Um, they're not going to abide two years in a row with very subpar results in that town. Yeah, well, it's it's that too, and then his personality, man. It, when when you're going, yeah, you know, everybody's on board with it. But when you're not, everybody's going to pick you apart because of that. So yeah, that plays a, a significant point. role too. It's a great point, and I I think I've said this to you before. Uh, Nick is a is the perfect coach, or was the perfect coach for where they were the year before, you know, in fact, even two years ago when they were, um, when they were, I think the wild card team, the, the, his first year, he was actually a good fit because that team had some veterans. They had a lot of talent. Uh, they, it was just a matter of like Jalen hurts was still growing into that role and the needed time. But once they really got rolling the next year, I mean, they had swagger and that was a perfect fit for Sirianni. But I agree, not every coach is good for every situation. I don't think there's some kind of rebuilding team, so I don't think that, you know, he's necessarily a bad fit, Sirianni. But but if the results don't come, his approach is is not exactly perhaps not the exact right approach. You know, just because this that's just how it works, you know. Um it's like Frank Reich. I felt like Frank Reich was the perfect coach when he was the perfect coach. <laughs> and then over time, the situation changed and, and maybe his personality wasn't the right personality for what they needed at that time. You know, and, and as situations evolve, coaches' approaches have to evolve. So we'll see if, if Nick can do that, if necessary. He is Stephen Holder of ESPN. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So you think wide receiver – could be a considering the coach, considering the quarterback who's going through another rookie season reboot, is wide receiver that first round choice, or do they have more? You think once we get there, coming up at the end of March, or should say at the uh, end of April here, they have other priorities that you think of need that they would go round number one, or is this the year they do go wide receiver there? I I would hope. This may not be a popular answer or, or one that people want to hear, but I, I really do hope and think they should take the approach of do what makes sense. And, and really on what I'm saying is best player available to, to a degree. Right? I mean, I'm, I'm not saying take a, you know, 
I'm not saying take a, a left guard if he's the best player. But, you know, within reason, best player available. And here's why. Because I, I, while I do think they could use another weapon, I don't necessarily think it has to be in the first round. I mean, the Josh Downs example last year I think is a good one. Now, I'm not saying you get another guy of that profile, but my point is if, if you do your due diligence, there's no reason you can't come away with a good prospect in the second round. Really what I think they need there is, I mean, if Michael Pittman is going to be their number one receiver, and that may be, I, I think that is still workable. What I think you need is you need a, a really good Batman. If he's, if he's going to be, I'm sorry, a really good Robin. If, if Michael Pittman is going to be your Batman, then the Robin has to be like a dude, like kind of on the same level, frankly. But I think if you, if you don't have Tyree kill, if you don't have, you know, that super elite guy who is clearly head and shoulders above everybody else, then what if you had, you know, two guys of the next tier, you know what I'm saying? And I think Michael Pittman's down whatever tier that is after that. So if you had two of those, that's workable. So I, I don't know. I guess what I'm saying is you can find that. I mean, Michael Pittman was a second round pick, you know, so you can find that uh, late, se- late first round, second round. It's possible. Um, you know, T Higgins, for example, second round pick. Like there's, those guys are out there. And I, I don't know how deep that position is going to be this year, but it does sound like there are some options. So I, I really do think this team is in a place where they have, I don't want to use the word luxury, but they're in a position where, They just need talent. Just keep building talent all around, and they're going to be okay. I I really do believe that. I do think they should address wide receiver. I just don't think you have to do it in the first round if you resign Michael Pittman. So coming off his rookie season, this team was incredibly excited about number 80. And then Jelani Woods didn't play a moment this particular year. Where is the level of interest and thought and, and what they believe Jelani Woods could give them this offseason compared to how they thought about him last offseason? That was one of the most disappointing situations, I thought, with the entire roster this year, just because of, of where the hope was in terms of, of what he could be, because they had very high hopes for him. I think they were justified, too. Um, it didn't work out. And, it, and we didn't know what was going on because Shane Steichen is just – you know, he's so forthcoming with injury information, as you know, but tells you everything, right? Everything you need to know. (laughs) Exactly. I I admit to feeling a little bit guilty about how I viewed that situation because I just wondered like, all right, is this kid soft or what's going on with him? As it turns out, like there wasn't really a a handle on, on his injury and there wasn't really a, a realization of what was going on with him physiologically uh, he had sort of a muscular imbalance that they had to work on, and he's got to get a certain type of um, rehab to to address this. It's it can be done. It just they weren't doing it because there wasn't an understanding of what was wrong with him. So now that they've got a handle on it, there's a good chance he's going to be just fine, and they can get him back on track. But that realization didn't come until too late in the season. And he ended up re-injuring it uh, as he was getting close to coming back. So I guess what I'm saying is if, if they get him right, there's no reason he can't pick up where he left off. Look, he didn't tear his ACL. You know, he didn't, uh, he didn't have some kind of career threatening injury. 
he should be okay as long as they address this and manage it and just prevent him from, from having these recurring hamstring issues, he should be fine. And if that turns out to be the case, I don't see any reason for any lower level of optimism of, of what he can be. He still has to do it. He has to prove it. He has to be consistent. But the flashes are the flashes. We saw them. And I think particularly with uh, a quarterback like, like Anthony Richardson, who will give him some shots down the field, I think that's a good mix, those two guys. That's a good combination. And I, I feel pretty bullish about Jelani Woods. So in closing here regarding Jelani Woods, I was I was told that it was the lack of offseason preparation to put it lightly. Others have told me that's inaccurate. It was because he worked on his his body and it was about preparing for that second season for him that ended up he acquired, obviously, that injury. What was it? What have you heard it was? I have not heard that it was the, the, the former in terms of uh, a lack of preparation. I don't know that to be the case. I, I do think that some of this was beyond his control. And there was just, uh, like, like I said, just an, a lack of understanding about what was going on with him. It's kind of an, I don't want to say it's an anomaly. It's very hard to explain. He did a good job of explaining it, but I'm stupid and I can't explain it properly. <laughs> but but the, the point is, I do think my understanding of it is that this was largely beyond his control. Uh, that there just wasn't an understanding of why he kept having this recurring issue and so once they gained an understanding of it, they were able to uh, rehab it appropriately. And, and at that point, he started to see progress. But, but again, it was late in the season, and uh, it was too late to come back at that point. So if that's the case, I don't put it on him. I just think, you know, he got a bad break, bad situation, and um, I don't know that anybody's truly at fault. So um, how many uh, people out there are going to, um, in their own minds, allow Taylor Swift to ruin the Super Bowl? Can you believe we live in a world like this? It's incredible. I, I mean. Absolutely incredible to me. So she's not a government asset? I just, Is that what, what the hell's happening here? <laughs> I, I mean, know, I, I know man. we live in a world that we now know because of social media, and this world is much oh, tighter man. now. We know everything because of technology. We know that the jackasses outnumber us now, but are we going, are we going to allow this to happen? Play such a role as it sounds like we are. Look, I, I don't, I think it's going to be pretty unavoidable this week because the internet, you know, everybody has a voice on the internet. It's a meritocracy, right? So <laughs> uh, not even, no, it's not a meritocracy. I loved it uh, when we didn't know that we were so full of chalk, full of jackasses. I love that. Right. I want to go back to that. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't, I don't think you're going to be able to avoid it this week, but I, I, it is, I just look at it as a, for, for what it's worth, which is a good laugh. That's what it is. But but unfortunately, the people you're talking about, for them, it's not a laughing matter. Look, she's going to be on camera. She's going to be at the game. And so what? Guess what? I, I'm going to have fun at my Super Bowl party. I'm going to eat and drink. And I'm going to enjoy the game. And those six or seven shots of Taylor, Taylor Swift, I, I don't think we're going to be talking about those on Monday morning. We're going to be talking about, did you see what Patrick Mahomes did? Did you see what Debo Samuel did? Did you see this? I mean, right? I mean, like, why does it even matter? Do you see know. how far away the Colts are? Yes. Or that. Still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right.
So things yeah, are more know, important. Man. It's going to be interesting, though, for sure. We, yeah. You're going to get a you're going to get a big dose of it, no doubt about that. Thanks, man. I appreciate you. Crazy. Yeah, no doubt about that. I, I appreciate you more than you know. We'll do it again next week and see what happens in that Super Bowl and see which storyline outweighs the other. Right. All right, my friend. Thank you. you. Stephen Holder of ESPN on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Quick break. We'll come back. Luke Bryan tickets. This will not ruin anybody's day. Somebody's got a chance to win those coming up before 6 o'clock. Don't go anywhere. 93.5107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, sir. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. A shout-out to my 14-year-old daughter who loves Fleetwood Mac and the album Rumors. I saw today where Stevie Nicks is going to be at Cambridge Fieldhouse in June. Well done. I'm trying to think of Laney. I mean, Laney, we went to see a flock of seagulls. My kids, which I think is awesome, are very 1980s musically oriented just like their dad. But Stevie Nicks is going to be prioritized for Laney. I just saw that a little bit earlier today. This is going to be a hell of a spring, summer, and fall concert-wise around the area. So get ready for that. Luke Bryan tickets before the end of the show for you as well. Any word on Trace Jackson Davis yet? Uh, We're trying to get Trace Jackson Davis, hopefully on the show coming up uh, tomorrow. Golden State in town against the Pacers on Thursday. Houston in town tomorrow. Pacers off tonight. More Pacers conversation for you, of course, coming up on tomorrow's show. Meantime on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, getting to know Terre Haute, Indiana, a great deal more in Vigo County. A part of the ESPN2 broadcast this past weekend. That was Indiana State over Drake at the Holman Center. And from ESPN, Kevin Lehman's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So uh, what do you think? You getting to know Terre Haute a lot more recently? Well, John, it's two weeks in a row I've been there. We had the Bradley game also. Uh, The Holman Center, that place has been rocking the last two weeks. We had the Robbie... Avila goggle day, and then they came in with the terrible towels this last Saturday. It is basketball heaven for me. And it was my birthday on the 27th for that Bradley game. I got my picture taken in front of Larry Bird statue. Yes. Nice. Better than that, John. Well, happy birthday to you. I'm an Indiana State grad. I absolutely love Indiana State. I love the basketball program. Big fan of Greg Lansing. Still good friends with Greg, and I talk to Greg as often as I can. He'd be on uh, Bobby Hurley's staff out at Arizona State. But honestly, I I haven't seen this level um, of of interaction with the fans, of fan interest with this team. I, I really haven't. I go back to the 79 team obviously when i was nine but this is about at the highest level and it's great to see for the basketball program and for Terre Haute in general the response and the embrace that that community that university is getting for josh shirts and his basketball program right now uh, john that's a great point and i think we said that on the broadcast that the excitement has been like this since you go back to the Larry Bird era. It's been the, and I, you know, Greg Lancy and I, we're both Iowa guys. I've known him for a long, a long time and uh, still stay in touch with him also. I tell you what, the fever in that arena, the last two Saturdays I've been there has been uh, just unmatched. And 
we're seeing it throughout the valley. It's happening in other places, too. It's happening at Map Center where Drake's at. We're seeing it in southern Illinois. We're seeing it at Bradley. It's just a resurgence of the valley, which is, I think, amazing a lot of people because they lost so many good players through the transfer portal with Lance Jones, Marcus Damask, uh, Ben Tricky, Rick Mass. But this league is as good as it's been forever. And we asked Joel Lenardi on that broadcast, what's it going to take Get back to being a multiple bid league, which the Valley certainly has proved they belong when they get in the NCAA tournament. So Kevin Lehman with us, I brought up that very thing. Like the Big Ten is packed full with teams at the top of the Big Ten right now that have you know taken the advantage of the transfer portal and uh, brought in guys. You mentioned Damask and Jones. So what what was going on in Carbondale a year ago? What the hell happened there? <laughs> well, they were right there to the end. Uh, you remember Damask, uh, I guess that was two years ago, he was banged up a little bit. But, yeah. You know, another one got to throw out there, too. Remember Antonio Reeves? He's leading Kentucky in the scoring the last two years. Yep. He came out of Illinois State. You could go on and on with the uh, number of players that, since the transport portal has come into vogue, the Valley has lost. But these coaches have done a great job of finding guys like Ryan Conwell, like Isaiah Swope and bringing them in seamlessly, Josh Schertz, I think you, give up, you have to give great credit, John, to what both Darren DeVries has done and Josh Schertz because they lost a lot of talent off last season's teams, and they brought in those new guys, and their culture has not missed a beat. It's been a seamless transition for both those squads. They're playing at a very high level. Both those teams, and I throw Bradley in there too, they can win NCAA tournament games in March. Who's the best player in the Valley right now? Is it DeVries? I mean, I, I know that Connor Hickman at, at Bradley has been really good, certainly more healthy now. Is it uh, Avila um, right now? Is it it's Swope when he's knocking down threes? Who is, is the front runner for that right now in the Valley? Yeah, that's a great question because when it comes down to it, I always start vote by who won the league. And uh, Indiana State with a two-game lead here with, what, eight left. But, golly, who would you go with? When I talk to coaches, you know, I'm a little coach myself, John. The name that comes up is Julian Larry that makes this team go right. both at the defensive end and his ability to push the tempo, the offensive end, and get to the paint. You know, Josh Hurst has that same paint to great, and he gets in the paint uh, so much. And he's drawn the top defender, offensive player on the other team. You know, he defended Tucker DeVries most of that game. So, I don't know who you go with. I think that's what makes Indiana State so good. I think if you look at NBA talent, uh, DeVries has the best chance right now at 6'7". Dave Tyson is another guy that the NBA guys like. And, of course, Malik Dia at 6'9", with his skill level, is another guy that might have an NBA chance. Uh, but it's definitely a team that's loaded, loaded with talent. So Kevin Lehman did the game on ESPN2, back-to-back weekends, in fact, ESPN2 and ESPNU at the Holman Center with Indiana State getting wins over Bradley and getting a win over Drake this past Saturday. Besides the obvious and in, in Avila and in that of, uh, you mentioned Julian Larry, which is such a huge key. 
Um, what has impressed you about this Indiana State team to be as good as they have? And, and really, they've had some incredibly coachable moments. You go back to the Belmont game, first half was a mess, and Josh Schertz called them entitled. You go back to Drake where they had to survive, you know, kind of a late game second half surge by Drake, much like we saw in Des Moines about a month ago. But what, what's the key to this team beyond their three-point shooting and making ability? Well, and also look at the Bradley game. I mean, that thing went to overtime. They, they they could have lost that in that last possession. Bradley had the chance for six seconds to win that game. Uh, so this is a team, and, and Brelmont, well, I thought was a huge trap game for them, sandwiched in between Bradley and Drake. And I tell you what, in early February, it's the dog days. Uh, that's when you see the upsets. And for the Sycamores to survive that win at Belmont in Nashville, a tough place to play. That was I thought that was huge for them because then you're going to get focused for a great game. But I think the key is there's so many weapons offensively, and you have the best, most skilled center in the country with Robbie Aguila. Four assists a game. I don't know if you see those printouts we get from the Valley. It went back 27 years. Excuse me, 30 years, there have been 27 centers averaged over three assists. He's averaging over four. It gives you a little, kind of like Cameron Crutwood, but Cameron Crutwood did not have the three-point shot that Robbie has. That's what separates those guys. And we saw that big three hit at the end of the Drake game that kind of opened up that lead for them. It's so difficult, the game plan, for a, a player that's that skilled at that five spot. Kevin Lehman, ESPN, of course, covers the Missouri Valley. Friend of uh, our friend, Greg Lansing, who's out at Arizona State right now. And Kevin's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. You mentioned Lenardi and, you know, obviously the Mo Valley and, you know, their attempt to hopefully get it at large. I, I can't believe it until I see it. Thus, I still will stay on the path of you got to win it to be in it. How about you? No. Uh, I think, and Lenardi mentioned this too, that you know the best thing for the Valley is Indiana State runs the table, gets beat in the championship game. Then you get two teams in. Uh, but And Drake had a great opportunity because it was a quad one game at Indiana State. They got a quad one game next week at Bradley, but they tripped up, so I don't know if they can get their resume built up to be an at-large team. But here's the thing, John, that really upsets me is if you look at the history of the Valley and the success they have had in the tournament, look at last year. Drake takes Miami down the wire. In fact, Drake's got three guys with food poisoning of the flu in that game. They led it for 36 minutes against Miami. Who ended up being a Final Four team? And you just go back to the history of the Valley, the success they've had in first-round games. And I'll tell you what, if you're, if you're playing Indiana State, if they win that first-round game, John, you can't prepare for them in two days. They're going to be a Sweet 16 team if they get through that first round. Uh, and it's funny. Because uh, I have a good friend I went to high school with named Dusty May, the head coach of Florida Atlantic. And it was about this time last year when he started coming on the show and we started noticing what they were doing in, in South Florida, the Owls. And that's kind of how they were introduced to it, too. I mean, once you get in that tournament, I mean, it's tough to prepare for that team and their style of play and especially – the way that they're playing at that moment, and maybe not completely the same, but there are some similarities, I think, to Indiana State right now to where Florida Atlantic was this time last year. I think that's a great observation, John. And here's the thing about the Valley. Uh, when you see a team two times, you might see them three times in Arch Madness, 
and you watch them and you see what other teams in your league does to defend them, it becomes harder and harder to execute your offense and your game plan against people in the Valley because this is one of the best-scouted, best-coached leagues in the country. But when you get in the NCAA tournament and it's a one-and-done deal, they haven't seen you before, that's why the Valley's had so much success. And sometimes, you know, those power conference teams look down their nose at those mid-majors and it gives you a huge advantage to get get those wins. I think this sets up a really nice on the Sycamores. Uh, they got to finish strong, though. they got eight games to win. I know to go and they want to win a regular season title. Well, you got to go back to, was it Royce Waltman in yep. 2001? Was that yep. the last regular season title? And 20-game schedule? That is hard to do. Yeah, and that Royce Waltman season, the late Royce Waltman, um, they won a tournament game against Kelvin Sampson in Oklahoma that particular year, too. So. That's right. And go, you know, we talked a little bit about Jake Odom's two, was a 2011 team, Lansing's yep. rookie year when they yep. went to the tournament. And uh, uh, <laughs> what a great – I love watching Jake Odom play. And that guy was uh, – he was spectacular. He was Tom Brady with a basketball. Yeah, and he he was he came along at that time, and then you know it was I guess unfortunate that he was also along the same time with Van Vliet and Baker when Wichita State was still yeah. in the Valley. So uh, that was that was unfortunate for a lot of ways, but highly entertaining in a lot of others too. Yeah, I did a little research. Uh, the last back-to-back Larry Bird MVP was Doug McDermott, twenty twelve. Yep. Uh, so Tucker DeVries got a chance to. Uh, and there's only been eight of them that have won back-to-back. Is when you said Fred Van Fleet, he was one that he won it twice, but there was a year in between that he didn't. Um, and the same thing with A.J. Green. They won it two out of three years. So Tucker has a chance to make to make some history there. And when you, you saw him play, John, I mean, yeah. that's the question. He's the most skilled player in the league? Yeah. Is the MVP? Uh, boy, I tell you what, I'm going to lean somebody on that Indiana State team if they win, win this thing, especially if they win it by two games. Well, I think the Mo Valley has done a great job. And when you know you talk about teams like Wichita State and Creighton, who who leave for you know greener pastures, if you will, but replenishing with with Murray State, replenishing with Belmont. I mean, we had Ben Shepard on the show. Ben Shepard's a first round pick that plays here and is getting a lot of clock as a rookie for the Pacers. I, I think oftentimes. We have forgotten, and now's the time I think we remember just how good the basketball level of play is in the Missouri Valley. Oh, no question. I grew up with it. Uh, I got my master's degree at Drake in the 80s when Lewis Lloyd was cruising mm. the sidelines for Drake. Yep. Percy Hawkins was playing uh, Jim Les for Bradley. I just missed Bird, Wayne Krecklow. Is a good friend of mine. He's played pickup games with all those extra eight guys when I was in Des Moines. Uh, so I followed this league. I even remember Benjamin coming to Drake and getting beat by 50 when Willis Reed was coached. Well, I mean, and then you think about Wichita, Wichita State, too, and, yeah. and what they had with the Xavier McDaniel and Antoine Carr and Sherrard. Uh, I can't. Livingston. Aubrey Sherrard. Aubrey Sherrard, right? Yeah, I remember sitting there in the old vest, watching the game, and they got a two-three zone. It's like they could go from side; they put their arms out, they could touch sideline to sideline. Xavier <laughs> McDaniel was a freshman, was their center, and they had Cliff Livingston and Antoine Carr in the wings. Yeah, that, not that lineup. 
That um that was a that was a badass group right there. We we I tell you what we'll have to do this again because we can share um Missouri Valley Conference stories going back going back decades. Hey, it's enjoyable. One of my favorites is you ever you never uh North Pulliam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. I mean it. Hey, so wh- when I was playing uh I was still playing around Des Moines when I was there for 6 years at Dowling High School. So I was on a rec league team with Dolph and he was probably 45 50 then. And one of those great guys would walk in the gym to play against us who just graduated. You could see the hair on the back of his neck stand up. And he would own that dude for like 10 minutes. They wouldn't get a touch or a shot. It was the old belly button defense of Maury John. Unbelievable. I'll never forget what he would do to those poor kids. And he was 45 or 50. He would own them for like 10 or 12 minutes. Yeah, it's, it's funny, too. My, uh, my senior year in high school, Bill Hahn was the head coach of my high school, and he was one of the members of uh, a vaunted, I think, of the 60s or maybe even late 50s, Drake Five. He went to Drake. Bill Hahn was his name, wearing Chuck Taylors and rocking it back then. He's no longer with us, but he was a part of, I think, Drake when they were really good back in the day. Yeah, there's some great history in this league. You can look back, you know, Oscar Robinson was playing this league. Cincinnati and the teams that, that were in this league. And you made a great point. And we're seeing this all over the country, realignment of leagues. So this is nothing new. Uh, when I first was coached at Northern Iowa, we came in the league. Uh, we were playing against our first game was against Tulsa and Tubby Smith. Yep. A Sweet 16 team. Yep. Uh, which we, And we beat them at Tulsa, our opening game of the Valley. And I tell you, I've got a broadcast Wednesday at I, and we're going to have Bob Bowlesby on, who Bob's going to be inducted into the, uh, the Missouri Valley Hall of Fame. He was our athletic director at the time. And uh, there's a lot of pushback when Northern Iowa joined the Valley, that they weren't a strong enough program, and they certainly have proved that wrong. And they've done a great job, the Valley, of picking teams. Look at what Loyola did when they came in. And you mentioned Belmont, Murray State. Tremendous tradition and basketball tradition in those schools. Hey, Kevin, I love talking Mo Valley. We shall do that again. But great broadcast the past two Saturdays at the Holman Center. Continue the great work, and we'll do it again soon. Thank you. Yeah, John, please keep my number anytime. I love talking hoops with you. You got it. Thank you, Kevin. Kevin Lehman of ESPN right there does the Missouri Valley Conference games. Very passionate about it, and I absolutely love that. Quick break. We'll come back. We've got Luke Bryan tickets to give away as we close out the show. Listen to win coming up on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. Yippee-ki-yay, Mr. Falcon. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Triple A Membership Lounge via YouTube Live. Thank you all for being a part of that today. Well done, everybody. Thank you. Ruoff Music Center. That's Saturday, September the 7th. And uh, Luke Bryan at 239-1070. Number nine, Luke Bryan. We got Luke Bryan tickets all week long. And uh, again, Luke Bryan, September the 7th. I know that's a long way off, but you'll want these tickets. Certainly country music fans absolutely love Luke Bryan. Ruoff Music Center coming up on September the 7th. Thank you, Live Nation, to our friends there, as always, for being awesome to us, utilizing us for ticket giveaways. I know people love it. 
Thank you guys so much for that. Luke Bryan tickets coming up September the 7th for that show at the uh, Ruoff Music Center. I mentioned this a little bit earlier. This is going to be an outstanding spring, summer, and fall for music around here. And not just country music, but all music. Think about what's also coming up on All-Star Weekend. Lil Wayne was added to the event. You're going to get a lot of other events that happen that are late to announce, and I know these are going to be like invitation only. But this place in a couple of weeks is going to be absolutely cooking. If you missed it earlier today, Tyrese Halliburton in the three-point shooting competition. NBA trade deadlines coming up on Thursday. We'll follow any of these stories around here. You know where I stand regarding Buddy Heald. I just don't see it, but maybe I end up being wrong. Andrew Wiggins has been mentioned with Pacer interest. If you want to double back and listen to what Chad Buchanan said last Monday about that, about the trade deadline, you can. 107.5thefan.com. My thanks to Kevin Lehman of ESPN Talk Missouri Valley and Indiana State and Drake this past weekend. Mike DeCourcy, Sporting News, Big Ten Network. Bobby Buckets, Purdue Radio Network, also a little bit earlier. Stephen Holder of ESPN, the podcast with each 107.5thefan.com. Again, the AAA Membership Lounge via YouTube Live. An awesome day for you as well. Back with you tomorrow at 3 and the only place to be with me. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Have a great night.